Thank you. Hello and welcome to the August 24th uh, meeting of the uh, City of Lawrence Douglas County Planning Commission. Um, this is a hybrid meeting with a, a full uh, group of commissioners up here and uh, let's turn this over to Becky Pepper to uh, go over the rules tonight. Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. My name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission Room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Drew Belby, who will be joining, helping facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. We will work alongside the chair to facilitate the meeting proceedings. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You'll still be able to hear the meeting. And when you're participating, please turn your video on. If you're having any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And with that, I'll now turn the meeting back over to the, vi the vice chair. Thank you. Thank you. Um, before we get started, uh, I want to take a moment to welcome um, two new members to the Planning Commission, uh, Commissioner Chelsea Hayden and Commissioner Steve Munch. Um, join us as new county appointees. Um, I've had a chance to meet both of you. I'm very excited uh, for what uh, you guys both bring to this uh, commission. You're joining at a great time. A lot of things going on. Welcome. Thank you. Um, let's jump in. Uh, uh, Jeff, are there anything, do we need to receive or amend or approve any actions? I'm oh, sorry, golly. Sorry, I back up. First one, um, we need to receive uh, and approve the minutes from the July 25th and 27th uh, meeting. Is there any changes or comments to that? If not, I'd accept a motion to approve. I so move. Thank you. Second. Second. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff, would you call the roll, please? Certainly. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. I mean, yes. Commissioner Carter? I think he's muted. Not muted. Can you hear me? I'm not muted. Um, I got Commissioner <laughs> Carter. I believe, the, I believe we have oh, a He's just here. muted. Yeah, he's using he'll mute. I can hear you. For some reason, I'm hearing you. Uh, Commissioner Carter? <clears throat> yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, my uh, affirmative thumb raise. <laughs> Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Abstain. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes seven, zero, and one. All right, thank you. Um, with the exception of the um, Lawrence Development Code or Land Development Code update process, are there any reports from committees over the past month to receive? <clears throat> Seeing none, thank you. Um, uh, do we have any uh, written communications from the public not a part of our uh, packet? All communications were included as part of your packet. Yeah, thank you. Um, have we received any written communications from staff, planning commission, or other commissioners? 
We do have the, the one update. Uh, we wanted to make aware of the update on progress of the land development code. You'll see that there's some upcoming meetings the week, or excuse me, not the week of, it'll be the 30th, the 31st of August and September 1st. There'll be a series of meetings that will going on, including the first steering committee meeting that will be underway. So I just wanted to let you all know about those times and meeting locations, um, just that that process is also getting underway. Thank you. Commissioner Carpenter, anything to add to that? Excuse me, you gotta turn the mics on so we can hear. Fair question. Is that better? Okay. Uh, I'd only add that those that are interested in seeing the agenda, go to lawrencekansas.org backslash LDC. Uh, the agenda for next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is all online. There's a bunch of round tables. Uh, looking at the audience, I think the first one of interest is Tuesday at 1.30, which is Environment and Natural Resources. Bad, Michael. <laughs> um, but the first steering committee is at 4 o'clock on Wednesday, the 31st in this room. All the other roundtables are over at the planning office and the other building, the riverfront building. Um, Gary and I had talked a little bit <clears throat> that we would like to try to have a way for the rest of the planning commissioners to try to speak up with any issues you might have identified from the time, looking around the short time for most people that have been <laughs> on here, um, and things that have come before us that you want us to try to pay special attention to as we go through the process of updating the code. So I think um, we'll probably be talking about a way to have some time each month that we could talk about the progress that's being made, what the major issues are, and get the feedback from this commission so that I can represent the view of this commission at the steering committee. So it's not just me. Um, so <clears throat> stay tuned. You might look through for the new people. Uh, have a look through plan 2040 because a lot of this process the goal is to try to bring the new land use development code in sync with the goals and aspirations of plan 2040 so it helps if everybody's familiar with those and then as you see things uh, come up like there'll be probably some tonight that we'll talk about there are probably things that we're going to have to look at when we update the code so Keep your eyes out, <clears throat> do some research, and give us some feedback each month. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. <clears throat> um, do we have any uh, written actions or any waiver request terminations made by the city engineer? None this evening. And now it's time to, if there are any of the commissioners um, need to disclose any ex parte communications. Nothing, thank you. Any declarations of abstentions from specific agenda items by commissioners? None, thank you. Now it's time for general public comment. This time is reserved for the public to provide feedback, give commentary to the commission on items not on tonight's agenda. 
but ask if you're here to speak to an agenda item that we wait until that agenda item comes up. If you'd like to speak um, either um, at the here in, in the room or on Zoom, please uh, raise your here. Just uh, step up to the podium on Zoom. Please raise your hand either physically or digitally and wait to be acknowledged. Uh, you'll have three minutes. I ask you to, to, if you can, to keep your comments to that amount of time. When you come up, state your name, where you're from, and we'll go from there. Anyone like to provide comment tonight on a general nature? Well, I gave a lot of instructions for that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Nothing on Zoom? Nope. All right, thank you. All right, that'll take us into item number one. The format that we we go through as we review these items. We have seven items on the agenda, three of which have been deferred to, to later meetings. We'll take those items in order. Um, the format is that we'll have uh, last staff to give presentation on those items. Um, we'll have an opportunity if there is an applicant for the applicant to provide some information. We'll have a time for public feedback given the same rules that we have for the general feedback. Applicants will have an opportunity to respond and at that that point, we'll bring it when everyone has um, had their opportunity to communicate. We'll bring that then back to the community uh, to the commission for discussion. And if I could, uh, we would like to start with item number one: uh, consider making a finding that the projects presented in the 2023-2027 capital improvement plan are in conformance with the city's comprehensive plan and forward a recommendation to the city commission for approval. Um, Amy Miller is on staff to talk us through this item. Amy. Good evening, commissioners. Amy Miller, Assistant Planning and Development Services Director. On mute. No. Amy, hang on one minute. We're having audio trouble in the. Use the black remote and bring it up. Oh. No. Well, there we go. Okay. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? So it wasn't you, Commissioner Carter. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. It was certainly the room, not Commissioner Carter. Uh, Is the speaker maybe? Drew, first job. Okay. Yeah, let's see the speaker. I can find this. What's going on there? Oh, yeah, let's try that. Hey, Amy, what's going on? Hey, Kurt, how are you? Oh, gosh. Oh, it looks like she's frozen now. I think she's frozen. Hey, perfect. hey, David Carter, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? <laughs> okay, let's try take two. Can everyone hear me? Very good. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And can everyone see the PowerPoint on the screen? No. I can see that. Yes. Okay. Good evening. I'm Amy Miller. I'm the Assistant Planning and Development Services Director. The item before you this evening is to determine the capital if the capital improvement plan is in conformance with Plan 2040. 
The charge before you this evening is to make a finding that the projects presented in the 2023-2027 capital improvement plan are in conformance with the city's comprehensive plan and forward a recommendation to the city commission. The planning commission's role in the CIP process is to review the multi-year plan shown in your attachment and determine if the proposed projects are in conformance with the goals and policies in the city's adopted comprehensive plan, plan 2040 per Kansas state statute. To explain a little bit about the process, and some of this takes place behind the scenes, the city uses what's called a CIP prioritization guideline. It's a policy that's been adopted. We've used it for a couple years, but it most recently underwent a few changes this past year. With those guidelines, it spells out a process where city staff reviews each project submittal based on the following items, scores them in order to prioritize the projects and make sure that they meet certain criteria. The CIP is reviewed, each CIP item is reviewed for strategic plan alignment, regulatory compliance, which includes conformance with plan 2040 and other land use plans, sound fiscal stewardship, efficient and effective processes, equity and inclusion, environmental sustainability, engaged and empowered teams, community engagement and external funding. Now, as part of this, I was lucky enough to take part in this. I actually was one of the staff members assigned to review it, review each item for strategic plan item alignment. Yes, that includes about 200 plus items that we reviewed. Um, and as part of the key piece here for you all is that as part of that regulatory compliance review, there was a dedicated planning review on each item this year. So each of the individual projects were reviewed by planning for conformance with plan 2040 and other land use plans. The recommendation this evening is to find that the projects presented in the 2023-2027 capital improvement plan are in conformance with plan 2040, the comprehensive plan. That is the end of the prepared presentation. I would be happy to answer any questions that the commission may have. Thank you, Amy. We'll move on to public comment, receive public comment on this item. Uh, if you uh, would like to speak, please come to the podium. Um, please give us your name. And if you would, please try to keep your comments to three minutes. Uh, thank you for your time here. I'm Thad Holcomb. I'm the moderator for Lettuce Lawrence Ecology Teams United for Sustainability. Now, some of you, uh, I'm, it's redundant because most of you already know what Lettuce is or what that stands for. Acronyms can drive you crazy. Uh, Lawrence Ecology Teams United for Sustainability is an interfaith group of composed of green teams from the faith traditions of the Muslim, uh, Catholic, Unitarian, uh, Protestant, Buddhist, and Jewish faith communities here in Lawrence. And our concern, of course, is about sustainability and development. Now, several years ago, we were with this planning commission over many meetings looking at the 2040 plan. And we had a great conversation. And one of the things we were concerned about was environment was very low. It was sixth and we moved it up to second or first place in terms of consideration uh, when we're looking at uh, growth. We're not anti-growth, but we're looking at growth that's appropriate and sustainable and takes care of the issues of the earth. I, I'll be very candid and no disrespect, but I am very confused of how the city 
who has pledged to be in accordance with the 2040 can approve the Wakarusa extension. Uh, you received letters, which I thought, by the way, was very good. And I don't know if you received a letter from the Multimodal Transportation Commission, which uh, unanimously is against that extension. And that was to the city commission, commission, and they did that. And then you had one from uh, Joel Campbell and also uh, Brenna Riggan, uh, who opposed this. Both of them were KU students. And then an honest one as well, very well written uh, in terms of opposition. Ours is in accordance with those concerns as well. A wildlife corridor is going to be disrupted. There's a problem of going into prime agricultural land. It's a development into the county. There is no way you can prevent that development accord to happen. Now they'll be saying, well, it's just simply going to be minimal traffic. That's all it takes to begin develop. And it's outside tier three for the planning commission for that in, uh, instance. Uh, we think that it's going to cause some uh, problems in terms of uh, water uh, pollution. It's going to cause uh, problems in terms of other issues environmentally that we haven't had a chance to look at. But we know that anything that's in a riparian area, which is one of the most uh, Im important uh, environmental biodiversity sources in terms of the earth, is going to be disturbed. So we're very much opposed to this. And we ask that you consider seriously rejecting it, uh, not approving it. I know it's going against maybe some other recommendations, but we feel strongly that this is something that uh, deserves your attention in a very critical way. Uh, thank you for your hard work and for developing the 2040 plan, uh, in which we hope that the guidelines will be followed in this case. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Holcomb. Good evening, Michael Allman with Sustainability Action Network. Um, last year during this review process, Vice Chair Rex Road made it very clear and everybody understood that as Ms. Miller did describe tonight, you are reviewing projects within a plan. You're not reviewing the plan for conformance. It's a very clear uh, distinction there. And when it comes to discussing CIP project MS 220029, the SLT improvements, and the first of the three cost share items in that, the Wakarusta extension south over the river, the city engineer is a broken record. In trying to justify this road, his answer to pretty much any question is, the project has been in the CIP and plan 2040 for years. His implication is that the mention of the road means it's in conformance. Regardless, his assertion is wrong on two levels. First, the project is not in plan 2040. A word search, try it, a word search in there does not bring up the Wakarusa extension anywhere in the 400 and whatever pages. Um, it's mentioned in transportation 2040 is only a dotted line on the major thoroughfares map and in the fiscally constrained projects table, that's it. Secondly, those mentions, along with the CIP line item of dollars and cents and dates, does not equate with full public vetting. Before this body or before the Multimodal Transportation Commission, neither of which was allowed by the city engineer. 
The project has never been reviewed or approved. It's certainly not shovel ready and shovel ready does not mean it's shovel worthy. On August 1st, the Metropolitan, the Multimodal Transportation Commission voted unanimously to remove the Wakarusa extension project from the CIP as not conforming with plan 2040 and spurring sprawl into tier three decades before the planning horizon. Sustainability Action Network concurs. We recommend that you make that finding and report it to the city commission. The Multimodal Transportation Commission Chair, Nick Kuzmiak, said it well at their August 1st meeting. I don't think it aligns with Plan 2040. It shows this that this area is in growth three. The arguments I've heard from the county engineer are that it's not really meant for development, it's meant for access. But access breeds development. Farms and farmland are going to see dollar signs pretty quickly. Planning and transportation are pretty intrinsically linked. If you add transportation, you will very quickly find that growth will follow. My time is up. Please pull it out and flag it for the city commission. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Holman. Is there anyone on Zoom that's waiting to speak today? It looks like someone there. I can't quite see the name. Maddie Bell. Yes. Yes. Hello. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Bell. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, good evening, and thank you for considering my comment. Uh, my name is Maddie Bell, and I am also a member of the Sunrise uh, Sunrise Movement from Lawrence. You got a couple of written public comments from us. Um, I am also asking that you uh, pull out the South Lawrence Trafficway Wakarusa extension um, and mark it as, uh, you know, not in accordance with Plan 2040. Well, the initial proposed build is small. It's just a small road that ends in a roundabout. The intention is to use that as a jumping off point to build a road over the Wakarusa River and the Wakarusa floodplain. Both, the, both of these areas are difficult construction areas, especially the river, which moves frequently. So a bridge would have to be high and wide. Um, and it would construction and then consequent use would result in uh, pollution of the river. Um, the Wakarusa floodplain is also a tier three area of development, as already mentioned. Um, and this plan to build a road over it is from outdated ideas uh, that don't reflect our current needs, wants, or climate. Climate change means it is now more important than ever to preserve natural areas, and developing an area like this would release potentially re release carbon into the air, not to mention the damage to the ecosystem, species, uh, you know, uh, animals in the area. It's an animal wildlife highway between Clinton Lake and the Baker Wetlands, so it there would also be danger to humans uh, driving on the road um, because there would be a higher rate of animal animal vehicle collisions. Um, and also preserving access to nature is a really important aspect of, uh, you know, fighting for a future for us, for our future generations. Um, you know, I'm, I'm only 26 and I am kind of looking down the barrel of a pretty bleak future if we continue to develop out like natural areas like this um, and, you know, emit greenhouse gases. Um, 
So we know that roads uh, don't reduce congestion, public transport does, and this is a tier three develop, development zone. Um, so I hope you will do the same thing that the Multimodal Transportation Commission did and recognize that there is an issue with this project. Um, thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you, Mr. Bell. Anyone else in the room or on Zoom that cares to comment? All right, I, I don't see anyone. Am I missing anyone? I don't think so. I'll bring this back to uh, the commission for discussion. Um, as we get started in that, uh, uh, question Amy um, and maybe uh, Jeff as well. Um, uh, there's uh, been some feedback from the community about line iteming this, this taking this as a line item, pulling this out of the plan. Is that something that this commission is able to do um, if, if uh, we, we determined that? So the charge, Amy Miller, Assistant Planning and Development Services Director, the charge before you this evening is simply to determine if the items in the CIP are in conformance with the comprehensive plan, Plan 2040. Um, that is your charge. Um, and to give you just a little bit of background on this particular project, this particular project has been in, trans, in a transportation plan as far back as Transportation 2020. We've had Transportation 2030, Transportation 2040 since then. Transportation 2040 is adopted by reference as part of Plan 2040, our comprehensive plan. In addition, this particular project has been in the Transportation Improvement Program uh, since 2016 and has been in the CIP, um, first appeared in this iteration in 2021. So it was in there for 2021 and 2022, and then now for the proposed 2023. Amy, thank you. And open to discussion among the commissioners. Anyone have questions or comments? Yes, uh, Commissioner Carter, if I may. Yes, Mr. Carter. Um, I have actually have a question for Amy about uh, the item that Mr. Allman, or that all of the speakers have referenced, MS 22-0029. Uh, the Lawrence, South Lawrence Trafficway Improvements, can you describe what that specifically is? Because I think I, I'm a, I may be a little bit confused if we're talking about the extension south, Walker Drusa Drive south to North 1200 Road, or if we're talking about um, uh, increasing the capacity of the existing South Lawrence traffic way from a two lane to a four lane highway. Can you please clarify? Amy Miller, Assistant Planning and Development Services Director. I can do my best. Um, the current, what is in the 2023-2027 CIP is a bit of an expanded project than what was there before. It incorporates expanding the west leg of the SLT from two to four lanes. And as part of that, also improving the Walker, extending and improving Wakarusa um, south of the SLT. Um, there have not been official plans drawn up. There has not been a determination of exactly, you know, where that goes, what that means. This expansion and incorporating it into an SLT expansion project came about because KDOT approached the city and the county and said, hey, we really need to move the expansion of the SLT project up on our schedule. It's becoming a hazard to have it only be two lanes and to not also have another connection 
that would move cars north-south off of the SLT as well. Um, and they approached the city and the county with a cost-sharing agreement. That initial conversation was approached to the city and county that the city and county would provide a combined 10% of the total project in terms of a cost sharing, and they could do it by doing local projects. The one that makes the most sense was incorporating the Wakarusa extension project. Um, and so currently, that is the $7 million that you see in the C proposed in the CIP is the local cost sharing match for the entire project not just the SLT expansion, but also the Wakarusa extension. Previously, the Wakarusa extension was in the CIP on its own. Okay, thank you. Um, that's very helpful. I'll probably have some additional questions or comments later, but I appreciate the clarification. Other questions, comments? Um, Jeff or Amy, I know that you said that this has been incorporated into Plan 2040 by reference to Transportation 2040, and it's been there. But as been pointed out, it's been a dotted line, and dotted lines on these maps are usually these are possible routes um, and aren't actually fully developed. So I'm just wondering, this line item in the CIP, is this to do studies or actually start construction? Amy Miller, Assistant Planning and Development Services Director. The, the short answer is yes. It would incorporate the studies, it would incorporate the planning project, the planning of it, the engineering of it, and construction. All right. Well, you know, to me, it's never, has it ever had a public hearing? Has it ever been out there where people were able to comment on this particular item other than as a possible future road in dotted lines on a map? because I have to point out the eastern leg of the SLT once had four, four different dotted lines on this map before it settled on one. And that was a long contentious process to choose which of those four dotted lines it was going to be. So I think a lot of the public concern right now is this is suddenly, even though it's been maybe a dotted line, it's never had public hearing on it. It's never had a public discussion on its need. And now it's here to be funded. And I will also point out that the city commission pulled it from the CIP last night. And that's in the journal world today that this item was pulled out and they don't want it in there this year. And um, so that kind of leaves us in a conundrum too. It's not in anything that's ever been reviewed by us and adopted as a plan. It's only been a hypothetical line on a map until suddenly it's here to be funded. So I, I'm having a problem here. You know, I understand that there is a safety concern and I'm gonna to have to say some of this is KDOT hoisted by its own petard back when they first constructed the Western leg of the SLT, only doing it two lanes and trying to pull a fast one and use the saved money to do, rush through the Western leg through the wetlands. 
which got stymied by the federal courts over and over again. So they build an inadequate road to start with. They shut down Castled Crossing Over, which was access to south of the Wakarusa because that was not ever designed as a safe intersection. And now we're left with this one that wants to go through the floodplain. And so I know the arguments are gonna be for public safety, but it does have other implications. And the biggest one to me is it's never had a public review process. So how do we deal with that? This has been pulled by the city commission. It's not in any of our area plans. And um, so to me, I don't think we've ever reviewed it as part of plan 2040. You, you would have reviewed it as part of transportation, excuse me, <clears throat> as part of transportation 2050 and the unified work planning program that goes up as part of that process. So as the commissioners sit on the MPO policy board, they would have seen that item coming up through the processes at that point in time. So it would have had the hearings at the moments of the policy board, which is where that work is aligned and brought forward to you. That work is incorporated into 2050 or excuse me, 2040 at that point in time, which was then reincorporated into plan 2040, just as it was part of horizon 2020. So there is a bit of a different process when you work with the Metropolitan Planning Organization, the MPO, versus what you would do with maybe a rezoning or a special use process. They do have a public input plan. They do follow those stages and processes as part of it. So it would have been in those loops at those point in times. And most of the roads do show up as dotted lines because they're just kind of giving you a sketch of where the, the best guess of the moment may be. The actual alignments will have to come as professional engineers sit down and they go through the works of getting the lines on the table. You know, KDOT's been working on the West Lake expansion project for a number of years, and they've been holding public meetings. Study that had been going on by KDOT as part of that. Some of those different alignments were brought up. Now, I was a bit of part of that one. I can't tell you that project, so I don't, I don't know to the extent of what that was involved as part of this, but there are those conversations that would still have to go forward and occur as part of the conversations. All right, I, I understand all that, but plant, plant, the transportation plan is never presented to us as a public item. It's not open for discussion. We just received a report and it's adopted. And by reference, it's adopted into plan 2040. So we've never actually reviewed the transportation plan. We just receive the study. I would respectfully disagree. You do have to process a comprehensive plan amendment when those plans are adopted and amended. So when plan 2040, excuse me, transportation 2040 was created, the comprehensive plan amendment was processed and brought forward to you for consideration as part of that. So you would have adopted it as part of that and it would have gone forward as part of that to the governing bodies also as, as part of the CPA process. That would have been in this instance because transportation 2040 was done before plan 2040, it would have been a comprehensive plan amendment to horizon 2020. All right, given that that process, that means that when we get transport the next transportation plan to review as a comp plan amendment, and we have dotted lines on a map, how are we supposed to process that up here? Are we supposed to go through every line on the map since we're adopting a plan as a whole? You know, again, those dotted lines are not going to be specific alignments. You can look at the general nature of them, but I would say, yes, that is part of your review. And when we did transportation 2040, it was under Horizon 2020's guidance. 
So there was a different context and different parameters that would have been in place as part of that review. With Plan 2040 coming online and the new transportation plan getting underway right now, you would want to look at it in, in the retrospect of 2040 as it is today. So you'd put the scrutiny to it under the plan that is adopted that you're referencing it into. So yes, I would say is you would want to look at it in that respect of the, the tiers and the growth management and the sections that you have today, which would not have necessarily been the same as you would have applied back in Horizon 2020's days. They would be a little different as we all know. And respectfully, I'm going to say that's never how it's presented to us by staff, that we are supposed to go through everything on this map and pull out anything of question and have a review process of that. It is presented to us as a whole and it's almost pro forma adopt this because it's already been approved by all these other commissions. Just make it part by reference of the plan. It has never been said to us to do exactly what you just said we should be doing. And most commissions will rely on the planning commissioners that serve as part of that steering committee to be that check and that initial upfront review of that, to be that those point people on that review for the planning commission. So if there is a change in that or would like to be a change in that with the commission, we can certainly accommodate that. But there are two planning commissioners that are appointed to both the policy board and to the steering committee for that, for that reason, to be those eyes and those double checks on those as that plan is being drafted forward going to be drafted and brought forward. All right, to the second part, since the city commission pulled it, what's our role? It, Amy and I were trying to understand a little bit about what the exact occurrence was last night because we were still trying to figure out if the article in the journal world reflected what we actually heard in the motions of that one. So Amy may correct me if I'm am wrong in my understanding of this, but our understanding is it was the it was advanced with a bit of a caveat of how the funding would be tied to the agreement, but it was still in the CIP with the other larger projects. And Amy, correct me if I'm wrong in my understanding of, of that process yet. Yeah, so Jeff and I both were attending city commission last night and were involved in the discussion. Last night, they were just having a discussion. Next week is the actual vote. So they were just providing staff some direction. The $7 million is still in the CIP. That did not change. There was some discussion about removing some specific reference to extending the Wakarusa, but not necessarily saying that we're not going to extend the Wakarusa, but removing that specific mention to that from that local match in the description of that particular project. Um, We've had some discussion today because we're not actually sure that that was a full unanimous consensus direction and how staff in MSO and finance is handling that at this point. But the project itself, the SLT expansion project, the $7 million earmarked for that is still in this comprehensive, the CIP. Yeah, but is that, but that goes back to Vice Chair Rexer's first question or, or Commissioner Carter's, I can't remember who brought it up. Is Commissioner Carter, are we just talking about, we're talking about two separate issues. One is the expansion of the SLT, which is KDOT. We don't, we don't have any say in that really. But what we do have some say in is this extra road, it extends from the SLT across the Wakarusa. Is that a correct statement? You you would have 
the ability to comment about its conformance, not necessarily about its funding or construction or, or what it is. Well, we it's never really, have that, but right. about its conformance with the plan. And this is only, the reference is only in reference to the city. So it doesn't, this would not carry and, and comply to the county in the same respect. So they would, there are other items here. This is a look at it from the city's CIP perspective. So there are KDOT and, and the county that would also be looking at it from their different angles too. And now, what is the impact of the Multimodal Transportation Committee saying no to this? In in your in your purview, mm -hmm. it's the same as if you would send a letter. It's just a, a letter to advising you of their opinion of it. It's not necessarily carries any difference. the The state statute is the one that waits you with the ability to check conformance. All right. You know, in general, when I was first on the Planning Commission, we got descriptions of every project. And now we just get an outline and we have to go hunt them down if we want to know about specific projects, which is a bit much. Um, so I, I just want to raise that. I'd, I'd like to see maybe we can get descriptions about actual land use. We don't need, I mean, we used to get how much a garbage truck cost. We get a whole page on that. So these, this was thick. But when it comes to the actual land use, it would be helpful to have some summary when we get this the next time. Because what we're got right now is, you know, staff reviewed them. I have no doubt you reviewed them for performance. But we're different. We're not, you know, we're not staff. We're representatives of the community reviewing this for compliance with the plans in, in the community view. So, you know, I think we need a little more information when we do this next year would be helpful. Um, but as far as this item, I'm, I'm thoroughly stumped because to me, we've never talked about the ramifications of possibly extending services across the SLT. And every time that's come up before, we've kind of held the line and here we're going to open up the rope. So I don't, we haven't had that discussion about this area. It's outside of all the area plans. It's in between area plans. So it's not in our plans to discuss what happens in this area. So I'm a bit uncomfortable with it being here right now until we have some of those conversations. In, in areas where there is not an area plan, 2040 is your guiding document. Yeah. So it, it would be, it is inside of a comprehensive planning area. So some places have area plans and some don't. In the cases where there is not one, then plan 2040 is the item that carries that guidance for you. And then if we do that, chapter two, the first chapter with substance is environment. And if I look at it through the environmental lens, I'm not able to vote for this particular line item because I don't think we have enough information to know what we're getting into. And I think it's, it's so I don't know that it's to me, I can't make a finding about this line on a map as being in conformance with plan 2040. So that comes back to Vice Chair Rex Rhodes. Do we have to do it as a whole or can we line item this? If you find that a public improvement does not conform with the plan, you can submit in writing to the city commission why it is not in conformance with the plan. That is in the purview of the board, under state statute. And how do we do that in writing? Do we appoint somebody to write this and then we have to wait for another two months before we can approve it? You can direct the secretary of the board to submit your written correspondence. 
Okay. We've um, been down that road before of writing letters and it's taken months to get <laughs> okays back and forth. Mr. Carter has a comment. Yes, uh, uh, Mr. Vice Chair, I have a question for Amy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I continue to be a little confused about this. The, um, my understanding is that the, trans, uh, the, the transportation improvement plan um, that was discussed by the MPO policy board uh, last week um, treated the Wakarusa Drive extension as a separate line item. And yet here, the Wakarusa Drive extension is being considered as part of the broader South Lawrence Trafficway improvement. Can you clarify when these were consolidated? Because I find it really difficult to conflate a um, a concern about improvement around an intersection with an extension of a road across the floodplain. Amy Miller, Assistant Planning and Development Services Director. I can try. Thank you. Let me give you a little bit of background on the CIP development and what staff does behind the scenes all year long. Um, the CIP process for staff is really a year long process. Once, once we get to adoption of a CIP, we're starting to work on the next year's CIP, okay? And the CIP is a capital improvement program that is usually four to five years out, tries to plan what those capital improvements are going to be. Previous to what you are considering this evening, which is the 2023 to 2027 capital improvement program, which was started, started development really probably in late winter, early spring, of 2022, that's when you really start to get to the meat of stuff. Previous to that, and in the previous transportation improvement programs, the Wakarusa extension was a standalone, standalone project. Mm -hmm. So in both the CIP and the TIP. Now, the TIP has kept it as a standalone project. It can be a little bit different of a different breed than the, cap the capital improvement program. But what's important is it's always been in the transportation improvement program for a number of years. That project is in there. Incorporating it with the South Lawrence Trafficway expansion just came as an opportunity. Otherwise, I would imagine that you would be seeing it as two separate items in the capital improvement program. Thank you. Could you just clarify when those were consolidated, though? With this capital improvement program. So sometime this past spring in the capital improvement program. Right. Um, sometime this past spring. I, I, and forgive me for being and I for for um, being so uh, so confused. But I mean, the Walkerus extension as a matter of public concern really flared up in June. Are you is it your impression that this took that this consolidation took place before or after that? It would have been entered as a CIP item before that. When the consolidated one. The consolidated one probably May. I think mm, April May was when we were doing our reviews and when staff had to get the item into the software system. Mm -hmm. Um, correct. Okay. Thank you. 
So I'm I'm new and I could be wrong. Just let me know if I am. But I'm very interested in the why. Like I I appreciate the last question about the how and the when. Um, you said because there was an opportunity, but why why take that opportunity? Why did they need to be consolidated? And um, what what was gained by that? Because um, it seems kind of strange that all of a sudden it disappeared and was consolidated into a larger project. I don't know who can answer that. Sorry, I, <laughs> I do know. I, no good question. I, I can do my best. The conversation, when, when KDOT moved up the expansion of the west leg of the SLT, this could potentially result in an interchange. It also helps with connectivity. There's also a grave safety concern with some of our existing at grade, existing crossings and the lack of north-south connections on the west and the south side with the SLT. Um, this project, the Wakarusa extension, has always been planned. When KDOT moved up the extension, the expansion of the west leg, they said, hey, we'd like you to put in some local match um, as part of the project, which is 100% common and that's what happens with KDOT projects. It just so happened that this is the perfect opportunity. It also provides some efficiencies with construction, road construction. You wouldn't have to do the same thing twice or redo something. So if KDOT went first, then you might have to completely redo what we were planning to do with the Wakarusa extension later. Um, so it also provides some efficiencies. So that was the reason why we combined it. And in addition, KDOT said, yes, that is an acceptable local match. So if I understand this right, it was in as its own line item because um, it was already an idea that um, it would be paid for locally. Um, but now we have the opportunity to do it with the state as a part of a larger project. That is correct. Just checking. Good discussion. Other comments, questions? Mr. Chair, Chad Voigt, County Engineer, to join the call and has his hand raised if you are. I'm sorry. Yes, please. Can you all hear me? Yes, Chad. Thank you. Sure. I'm, I'm jumping on because I hate to see people struggle with not enough information. So um, let me let me explain how the traffic way and the, the Wakarusa project are related. So the traffic way, you know, has been in development for many years and um, the Wakarusa project was a separate, uh, on a separate track, it's a completely separate process. And we actually would have started uh, moving the Wakarusa extension forward much earlier if KDOT hadn't taken so long to kind of get the West Leg pulled together. So if you look back at the county CIP from Oh, 2016, it actually shows the Walkers extension under construction right now. And we've had to continually kind of delay that and, and drop it back as KDOT has taken longer to develop those plans. And so they are separate projects. And then KDOT came along and said, well, we're ready to move the Trafficway Westleg project forward in the statewide program. 
And to do that, we'd really like to see some local contributions. Um, and they call that a local match. And we have met with them and convinced them that the planned extension of Wakarusa should qualify as local match in that formula. And they agreed to that. So um, there are other things that are included in that local match. We've got Wakarusa going further north to Clinton Parkway, which is a city contribution. We've got a bridge that the county's going to pay KDOT to replace that's also a contribution. And so there's this partnership that's going on, but at the root level, the projects are completely separate projects. And so the extension of Wakarusa is purely a local decision, a local project, and it's not tied to the traffic way. And the issue that you're you're looking at tonight is not tied to the traffic way. So, you know, the traffic way um, just last week was funded for construction. So uh, they're moving ahead with plans and we want to, the, the goal is that we would include the Wakarusa extension construction in the bid for the traffic way. And what that would do is, is obviously improve the bids um, and save money. So um, it's, it's really just a local project. So let me, let me leave it at that and see if that clears it up. Thank you, Mr. Boyd. If I may, David Carter, um, I, I'm really grateful to Mr. Voigt and to Amy for the clarifications. Um, I feel like I have a clear understanding of, of you know, why these things are consolidated. That doesn't mean I'm, I mean, I find it kind of unsatisfactory that they were consolidated at this particular timing. I, I understand now why, but I feel like um, uh, at, uh, as the, the southbound Wakarusa extension um, came to the public's attention and and gained the kind of negative you know response that it has. It seems to me that um, it it ought to be treated separately, not the interchange itself, but the extension. And I see that it seems to be phased now. Uh, but I'm you know the the particular design that has it terminating in a roundabout. Um, I, I find really problematic uh, because it really does suggest that the that the that the only logical next step is a further southbound extension. I feel like there must be a multitude of alternative interchange designs that would not make that an inevitable next step. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, Mr. Boyd, is there something that you can speak you can say to that? Yes. Um, so the roundabout at the south end is um, primarily designed so that traffic coming off the ramp of the freeway doesn't get held up when there are soccer events. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a major entrance to the uh, ball fields there, the baseball and soccer fields. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are certain times where that gets very congested. And if you've got a ramp at a light during the exiting from games, it's going to back up the ramp. And so they put the roundabout there for that reason. It's really a volume management tool. Whether there's a leg going south doesn't matter. Um, but on that point, I would say that the, the whole reason there is a Walkerusa interchange is because the comp plan has always said there will be a north-south arterial at Walkerusa across the river. So when they show that stub, they're simply following the comp plan. And that's been in there. And, and it, it really goes back, you know, 25 years to when the original road that was there was removed. And so, you know, we've had crossings of the Wakarusa River there in the past, 
and they've been removed with the construction of Clinton Lake, and now we've lost effectively a crossing at Castled. And so as we have lost those crossings, that's why the comp plan has proposed this crossing. It's really kind of, if you look at a, a map of all of Lawrence, it's a mirror image of Haskell. Okay, so you've got 59 Highway as the center backbone of the, of the whole community. You've got Haskell on the east, that's a north-south arterial. This is gonna be Wakarus on the west, which is a, a north-south arterial. And, and it's gonna function almost identical to Haskell. And so there's a service area that, that we are serving in the county there. And that's what makes it a, a county priority. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that in the future. But, um, but that's why, you know, when they show that roundabout, they're just simply following the lead that we've given them. Okay, thank you. So I have another question that's a newbie question, I'm sure. Um, so I'm just curious, I, I think I understand the why and how things got together. I am a bit concerned though about when has the public had an opportunity to present some of the issues that they presented tonight because I'm not sure that I'm convinced that it is um, in compliance and I'm just wondering how how does that process work for the public to be able to uh, present that, right? So if we approve this the way that it's been presented, it just moves forward is my understanding without real discussion, kind of as we talked about um, earlier. So I'm kind of back to the, the first point of, of um, how, do, how do we hear about this and how do we have a more robust discussion about the the environmental impacts and things of of this particular extension, or is that just something that is not not only not before us but not within our purview as a commission? Those conversations would occur when the city commission takes this up as part of their funding and package to discuss about the planning and engineering and how to have those stage discussions when the funding and the projects come forward for municipal services and operations. You're charging it is just to look and, and does this conform with the plans that are adopted on the books? That's that's the key with your conformance aspects. Those discussions, those studies, the, the all of that would be as part of that study and engineering that goes forward when MSO would go forward with the project, and that would be when the city commission authorizes them to begin that work. So it's a it's a mechanism that gets started when the funding kicks in. But before that, we are supposed to decide whether or not we believe it's in compliance based on what we hear here tonight. Correct. If, if, is it in conformance with the plans as, as they are adopted? Thank you. Just a comment, if I can pile on to some of what I've been hearing. Um, uh, I share some of the concerns that have been voiced about environmental, imp environmental impact. Um, I uh, and, and with uh, Commissioners Hayden and Carter um, Carpenter, Sorry, I uh, um, also have questions about how we organize ourselves around very complex lists of of items, you know, massive amounts of materials, and be, I'll be certainly thinking about how we might, at least how I might approach that differently, so I can get at a a richer understanding of we come into this. I do, however, recognize on the other hand that. The decision on whether or not this Walkeroos extension happens is uh, is a function of the city commission, and based on what happened last week or last night and the week before and the week before, it's clearly not a settled issue. Um, our charter here is to say whether or not this item 
is consistent with, conforms with the plan. And what I've heard from staff and the descriptions of the methods, the process um, uh, that they've gone through over a period of years, it seems to me that it is in fact in that plan consistent to the degree and with the transparency that maybe we would want. Um, I'm not sure, um, uh, but but the fact that it's there, I, I think is clear. Is that is that an accurate statement? Jeff? I believe so, yes, okay. because there's a lot of still public process to go forward on all the projects in the CIP. They're all going to be going to the city commissions for review and approval and authorization to perform the work and begin the studies. And that's really when those studies and that engagement takes place is because a lot of these will not have at this stage enough understanding of where they're going, what the surroundings of them will be, to really be able to start engaging and having that is when we start to have that beginning that beginning discussion with the planning and the engineering is when we know more about what's coming forward, what does that look like, and, and what are the options that are on the table. Okay. Thank you. Will any part of this come back to the planning commission if it goes, if they start to figure out funding and where it will go, will we see any of that and how it relates to our plans? You would see it most likely as part of your committee reports from the commissioners that sit on the policy board. That would be where it would show up as part of that programming with KDOT and the funding package that comes through the Metropolitan, or excuse me, through the um, uh, UPWP, the, the Unified Program and Work Plan, as part of that conversation, which is where the county, municipalities, and KDOT works through those different alignments. So it, it would be at that level. The planning commission that's sitting tonight would, would see that if there was an amendment or anything that was brought forward as part of you to receive from an update from the policy board or from the MPO, but not necessarily in relation to a land use or a long range planning function other than transportation 2050. Which again, it brings me back to my point building a road there before we have actually ever had a discussion. I mean, we're potentially, we're changing where the growth tiers are by development pressure. We are changing where infrastructure might have to go for land use south of the river, which somebody's gonna wanna bring into the city to get services. We've not had any discussions about this part of outside the city about future land use plans. And we're talking about, we're out of the process about choosing to put a road out there before we ever talk about the long-term impacts of having a road that goes out there. So how do we deal with that? You know, I think it's also important to note is that road does not always necessarily have to serve the city. It can be a service provision of the county and the residents there for access to fire and medical and to reach the area. So if you look at 2040, many of you will remember it was always programmed from the county line then towards the city for that reason. It was to help make sure that we had those linkages and connections that worked its way back in as a city as a whole. I'd say is, you know, it's important to note is, you know, those linkages yes, may over time turn into different things. I think we've all seen Sixth Street change over the, the years and Walker Race has certainly changed. There are roads that also have not changed in the same capacity and depth. So it's hard to predict what will occur with the roads. But it's also important to know is that those roads will also connect upwards so that people have access to different things. So it's a, you set in a bit of a different situation than most 
commissions would ever do in the state of Kansas since you sit as a joint city county planning commission, but you're looking at the city's version of the CIP. Exactly. And that's that's my problem because yeah, the only the only positive I can see of this road right now is public safety because we cut off that castled access. To be fair, we just uh, it was not cut off by by us. No, it was cut off by KDOT because it was just designed as a poor intersection that was a complete hazard, so it had to be shut down. And KDOT made that determination, not the city. I'm fully aware of that. <clears throat> so now we're in this situation. We are looking at the city component of this, not the county component. If I was looking at this as the county CIP, I'd say all the arguments are in favor of making that connection for emergency services and public safety. But that's not what I'm sitting here tonight. Tonight I'm sitting here as the Lawrence City <laughs> component of this. And as far as the city goes, it doesn't make sense yet because we don't have plans for it. <clears throat> That you support it from a county perspective? If, if the counties, but that's we're, not what's in front of us. We're a joint board, we're a joint board though, aren't we, on that? I'm not I'm tonight, trying to understand that differentiation. Tonight, tonight, this is the city of Lawrence CIP, All right. not the county CIP. If we had the county CIP at the same time, we I think we could have a different discussion. But as far as the city goes, I see this as posing potential land use ramifications and I'm trying to weigh the cost benefits from the city CIP perspective, not the county tonight, because I'm fully convinced that we have to have access for county to get to the hospital and for emergency services and whatever else, fire, everything else to get back and forth. But I think it needs to be part of a larger discussion and process because I don't think people, does the MPO even have public input on items? Yes, they do as part of their processes. Typically it's written or it occurs at a at a gathering, a, a meeting of sorts. They will go out in the public and gather that input. They also take public comment at their, excuse me, their technical advisory committees and their policy board meetings. You know, from the city perspective with their CIP, I'm not convinced this is such a great, that it really complies with the future land use plans as we know them for the city right now. So that, that's what's causing me a problem with the city CIP. So, and Chair, thought? if I may, just yeah. quickly add something that I failed to mention earlier, and I apologize. This also does greatly improve access to city parks. YSI, Eagle Bend, um, this would be make that and make that connection much better. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and again, I, I, I appreciate the merits of this uh, project. I appreciate the concerns about the environmental impact. And I appreciate um, the concern about the process that causes us to look at this and feel like we haven't quite, we, we don't have the information to fully understand that particular project. Again, though, I think the question before us tonight is, is it in, is it in conformance with the plan or is it not? If it is, that's our decision. It's not up to us whether or not the project is actually um, constructed. It's just, are we in conformance with the plan? And then city council makes that decision. But I think that's an accurate statement. Any other comment discussion? Would anyone care to make a motion? 
Commissioner Thompson, that we are talking not just an emotion on this particular project, we are talking on the total package. The motion would be to um, con to to conclude that uh, the CIP for the City of Lawrence 2023-2027 20, um, is in conformance with um, the uh, Plan 2040 and then forward to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval. That would be the gist of that. It's not about the Walker's extension yeah. specifically. It's just about the, C the CIP all up. But the motion could be with the exception of certain items. We can't line item out. Um, we Why would. Not? You, excuse me. You can notice it's written writing that if there is a proposed improvement that does not, you can put that in there and direct the secretary to write the letter on your behalf, but it would require direction on why it does not meet in there because we'd hate to misrepresent or mischaracterize the commission's item there, but you can pull it. I mean, you can pull an item out and cite it in that respect if it's yeah. not being in conformance. And not being able to do so makes no sense because we could get an item that comes in at some time that is a violation, which is one of the examples that's always given is we're talking about something that's set apart outside the city limits. <laughs> and that's in there. And if that somehow gets into the final CIP in front of us, we'd have to approve that or disapprove the entire budget. So, you know, as far as meeting the land use plan, so we have to be able to pull things out. <clears throat> is, is there anything that we have heard that would say it is not, because we've only talked about the Walkerusa extension for the city, nothing about what would happen south of uh, there. Have we heard anything that would say this is not a part of the CIP? Part of the CIP or, or Plan 2040? Yes. Yes. And could be in conformance with Plan 2040. Because otherwise, and I appreciate Commissioner Carpenter that you bring up uh, some issues, but then are, if we do it line by line, are we not constrained to go through and say, well, I see we're spending $400,000 for a new um, tarmac out at the airport. We would have to go through every item. It either, and it is not, as I see it, it is not our place to say whether all of these projects should go forward, but rather are they in conformance? That and is if correct. We, if we if we go line by line, item by item, to say, well, I don't like this one, or I think this is an issue, um, I, I don't think that is our purpose, at least tonight. No, but it's been the suggestion by at least one city commissioner that that's how we should look at it, and that. We have, by voting one way or the other, we're accepting that we're aware of all the all the past plans and all the maps and everything else that are out there. Um, and I agree, such things as replacing tarmac, that has nothing to do with land use. And that's what a lot of the CIP is. And that was what I was saying before. I mean, we've had down to the cost of the recycling trucks with the extendable arms, I mean, and new fire engines, that has nothing to do with land use. We're just looking at this, does it comply with these plans, the land use components? To me, I don't think we fully 
we don't have anything that addresses the potential land use impacts of this particular extension. That's why I I'm, I'm, don't have anything I can say it actually complies with the plan because it's not in our land use plans really. It's, on, it's in a transportation plan and it has a public safety purpose, but from the county perspective. So, but for the city perspective, I can't find, this is one I'm, I just can't find how it complies with the plans we have in place because we haven't planned for it. And if we're just looking at plan 2040, to me, it doesn't, doesn't meet the burden of getting past the environmental sections of plan 2040 without knowing more about its possible impact, which apparently we don't get to discuss here. So, you know, this is our one chance to discuss it. <clears throat> yeah, um, Commissioner Carpenter has expressed himself more eloquently than I than I could, um, but I, I do have to I, I do have to say it feels like a bit of a knot that we're tied in here. Um, that based on parenthetical elements of a transportation plan that has been discussed years ago by by members not of this committee of, of this commission, um, and that have been you know, incorporated as part of the elements of Plan 2040. I, I see a uh, in internal uh, contradiction between the about, between this element of of the transportation plan and the environmental and land use objectives of Plan 2040. So, I I doubt that there is a majority of the commission that would be that would vote in favor of drafting a letter to express that. But it's my considered opinion that this is not fully in compliance with plan 2040 and I intend to vote against it. Justice Commissioner Carter, correct? Commissioner Carter, you're just speaking about the one line item, not the Yes, I am I but but if we're not allow if we're not um how can I put it? Uh it, it, this is something else. I mean, on one hand, we are being not only asked but expected to consider every item so uh, you know respectfully i disagree with commissioner thomas's conclusion it is precisely our purview to have considered every line item and consider that it conforms and to the extent that we can that we find that any one line item does not conform um we are then we we have to put the brakes on the entire thing and write and and draft in writing why we can why we um uh, consider this to be out of conformance. This does not agree with anything that in my experience on this commission, we have been expected to do. And so, I mean, I, I, I expect that this will pass because I mean, call it 99% in conformance, but I, I've, I, based on this discussion, I find it difficult to vote in favor of 100%. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. I feel like we've discussed this pretty thoroughly in a round, maybe more than once. Um, and, and unless there's other uh, discussion, I'd, uh, I'd entertain a motion. I'll make a motion. Yes, Commissioner Duber. I move that the projects presented in the 23-27 capital improvement plan are in conformance with the city's comprehensive plan and forward a recommendation to the city commission for approval. Thank you. I have a second. Commissioner Thompson. Seconded. Commissioner Thompson. 
Thank you. Mr. Crick, would you please call the roll? Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Carter? No. Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? No. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes five to three. Thank you all. And thanks to uh, the community who's come out to uh, speak on this. Um, at uh, quarter seven, let's move on to our second item. Um, that item is to consider approving a request to rezone approximately 3.4 acres from RS7, that's a single dwelling residential dis to district, to an RM12D multi-dwelling residential district located at 1100 Castle Drive, um, submitted by BG Consultants on behalf of Christ Community Church. And Kyle Kobe is here to uh, present on that. Thank you very much, Kyle Kobe with uh, planning. Um, as it was just mentioned, uh, this item is a proposed rezoning from RS7 uh, to RM12D multi-dwelling residential district at 1100 Castle. Uh, I'm going to share my screen just briefly here um, to give some context for where this is located at. This is at 1100 Castle. The um, full existing property boundary is shown in blue here and the yellow hatched area indicates the area that is proposed for rezoning. It is approximately the, the southern half of the property as I mentioned. The density and dimensional standards are very similar between the existing and proposed districts. The district, the differences are in a minimum lot area, which would go from 7,000 square feet to 6,000 square feet. Rear setback, which would go from 30 feet to 20 feet. The maximum building coverage area from 45% to 50% and maximum impervious coverage area from 70% to 75%. Uh, there are a few use differences between the existing and proposed districts. Um, the primary difference, though, is that duplexes are permitted in the RM12 district. Detached dwelling uses are also permitted in the RM12D district, which are um, permitted in the RS7 district. Multi-dwelling structures, which is any structure with three or more dwelling units, are not permitted in the RM12D district. Several goals from Plan 2040 are noted in your staff report. All the ones noted uh, in general pertain to accommodating or encouraging a variety of infill housing options where infrastructure is already in place. And staff finds that the proposed rezoning is in line with the goals of the comprehensive plan. The applicant has provided a concept plan which shows a potential amount and configuration of lots at this location. This was used to evaluate the general intent of the proposed rezoning, um, but uh, just should be noted that the concept plan is not set in stone and for general reference, um, the amount of configuration of lots would be determined during the platting process. So if the rezoning is approved, the next step in development would be the major subdivision, major subdivision application process. Um, that's where much more detail become, begins to come into focus. Major subdivisions uh, involve a preliminary and final plat. The preliminary plat would come through the planning commission while the final plat is reviewed administrative, administratively, sorry, um, though it is required to go to city commission if there are any dedications of easements or rights of way. During the planning process, we'd be evaluating amount and configuration of lots, street access, easements, utilities. Um, this is also the stage where other components such as the traffic impact study or a drainage study would come into play. Building permits would follow after the platting process is completed and the final plat is recorded at the Register of Deeds. Um, I just wanted to add, uh, kind of give a brief summary of the, um, the overall process um, that would come into play following this. Um, I know that there, there may be some questions about some of the design level details, which is why I wanted to touch on the plat itself. 
Um, and I wanted to com conclude by saying staff is recommending approval of this request to rezone from RS7 to RM12D based on the findings presented in the staff report, forwarding it to the city commission with a recommendation for approval. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. And I see that the applicant is here via Zoom as well. Very good. Thank you, Kyle. And uh, David Hamby, are you here? Yes, sir, I'm here. Hi. Yes, please share your feedback. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, uh, commissioners and staff. I appreciate the work uh, staff has done on this. Uh, we work with them closely on the, the preparation of the staff report. I would note that uh, this is an undeveloped parcel. It's not a park or green space or open space. And so it's just a part of the, the church parcel that they've decided to, to sell off to an individual and our company and they're, they're working to develop it. And I also would note that uh, the density request, uh, RM12D is in response to uh, what we've heard from planning commission, city commission about the desire for increased density on developments. And so that's, uh, this is a direct response to that request. And as we proceed, uh, assuming the rezoning gets approved, the preliminary plat will address the stormwater requirements, utility, um, requirements and, and access requirements, traffic impact study will be part of that as well. So, um, but the city, I will note that the city does require for stormwater that uh, we don't increase the actual amount of runoff from the site. And so um, while the drainage patterns probably will change slightly, I would say they would probably get better for a lot of the individuals that's talking about drainage problems. So uh, with that, I'd be happy to take any questions you may have and appreciate your time. Thank you, Mr. Hamby. Um, it's time for public comment. Um, if you uh, are here to speak to this item, invite you to come to the podium. Um, please uh, give us your name and uh, you have three minutes um, to share your feedback. If you're online, please raise your hand physically or digitally and uh, we'll uh, call on you. Anyone here for this item? Hello, I'm Paul Markham. Uh, my wife and I, Deborah, live at 1113 Jana Court, uh, right very in the near vicinity of this uh, proposed development. Um, I do have a couple of questions. I saw the initial planning document, but um, I saw in the lengthier version of the document that there could be as many as 40 residences uh, built uh, on that particular property, that 3.4 acres, 24 to 40. Um, if this rezoning approval request is approved, um, I assume then the builder could, could put in 40 new units, is that correct, 40? And at if, least if, if it's okay we'll, we'll take those questions and when you're done we'll we'll ask uh, uh -oh. staff to answer that okay <laughs> thank please right. uh all right um and, and then the second question if i can just add addendum to this and i had some other written issues but that i already make a place but um it seemed to me the only egress to the property was this cul-de-sac that that would go out to um castle and um, if you had like 40 new units there, um, obviously that creates qu quite a traffic problem. 
Um, would there be a stoplight there? Uh, would that even be practical given that there's another stoplight at Harvard and Castle maybe a uh, hundred feet away or something? I mean, those things are big issues to me living in the area. We think it would impact the quality of life in our area substantially. It's been a fairly quiet residential area for a long time. I think, you know, 40 new families uh, plus in the area would make a substantial difference to the quality of life in the neighborhood. And that's, I guess, without that's all that I have to say. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Markham. I've captured a couple questions from you. One about uh, density for residents and the other about managing traffic on Castle, correct? Thank you. Okay. Hey, we'll come back to that. All right. If we miss it, you let me know. Okay, thanks. Okay. Anyone else uh, care to comment? <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Becky Poland. Um, I had bought the house that belonged to the priest when it was uh, Corpus. I don't think that even though the church so far, I've lived there since 2015, always been good neighbors. Um, it's There's definitely a huge difference on you know nights where there's activities, things like that. For the most part, it's been fairly quiet. They've always been good neighbors. Um, However, they've never, ever had to address the problems that were created by the parking lot and building for every single person that lives down the hill. Um, I have paid a ungodly amount of money to keep dirt around my home. Um, I bought it in 2015. I became a single parent in the last few years. I have forked over around 50 grand to keep my house in order. Um, I tried a French drain. That was about 2000, that did nothing. Um, I finally, after multiple bids, um, I spent about three grand, by the way, getting rid of black mold in my basement that was created by water rushing to my home um, from the parking lot, which by the way, I'm sure was never, has never seen a level. I'm pretty sure they just took asphalt and poured it on dirt. Um, it is all downhill. There is no rock, they removed a crazy amount of trees, the root systems were keeping the dirt in place. Uh, Chris Windler Foundations finally was able to dig a kind of a, a little swole area. Uh, that was about, gosh, almost 4,000. Um, this is all within a span of two to three years that I've had to fix these issues. They're not just my issues. These are my neighbor's issues. Um, I live on the corner. Um, it affects me first, but then everyone else. I can't imagine what another parking lot and ripping out every single one of those trees is going to do to the homes of these people who live a block down. Um, this would be their homes now getting the runoff. Um, I, I, I completely understand that this is a problem that the that Community Christ inherited, um, but nothing's ever been fixed. Um, Chris Windler did come and give me an assessment, basically laughed. Um, nothing should have ever been built on this area. Um, it is a rock foundation, which means that the water piles in, fills, dumps, goes to the next level, fills, dumps, and then it dumps into our homes. Um, this was made much worse by putting a paved parking lot where the water rushes into that. Um, I, you cannot keep sod, dirt, um, those are the least of my problems. My foundation, I was told, basically will be destroyed. Um, he told me to sell within five years. Um, these people will now be forced to deal with that as well. Five to 10 years, 15 if I'm 100% lucky. <laughs> um, that is not 
what's in the cards. Um, the dirt that he moved is already being filled in by every single time that it rains. Um, it did momentarily fix some of the mold issue, some of the water being rushed to my basement. Um, I was told to install a sump pump for around seven grand. Um, this is not an area that should have been built on. Well, if I could ask you to wrap up, please. I'm sorry. That's okay. um, and I was told, told from the uh, foundation guy um, that basically like all of this is caused by, it could be fixed by a rock wall. Um, that would be about five grand for me. I can't imagine how pissed my neighbors would be if I put a moat around my home to rush to their yards. Um, none of these things have been, I, I don't believe that any of these things have ever been addressed Thank building you. more on the property. Thank you, Thank you for the feedback. Yeah. Thank you, ma'am. Hello, my name is Neil Taylor. I'm uh, 1309 Jonathan Court. I'm just south, uh, directly south of, uh, of the property. Uh, first question was uh, told by the pastor that this was going to be a 50 and over community. Is that true? Um, do we know anything about that? Um, secondly, there is on 13th Street, which from Castle down to Jana, there is... I think it's five lots that are marked off on the plan that's right here that you guys sent me. Um, are those duplexes and will they access onto 13th Street or will they access back in to the cul-de-sac that is drawn that goes out to Castle? Um, the other thing, uh, the, the man, the, the, the consultant there, he mentioned it's, it's not green space. If that's not green space, what is it? And what are we calling green space? It's a massive green field with a bunch of trees, put a bunch of houses in there. All that's going to be gone. And I know Lawrence, we've always been, it's trees. It's our thing. Uh, and that's going to be destroyed. Uh, families play, and I know it's private property. I know the church owns it. I know they need to pay off their mortgage. That's all, you know, okay, that's for sure. But we need to make sure if we put some houses in or whatever we develop in there, that needs to be maintained also. Those things need to be put back and kept. And I do mean the trees and the green space. Um, and that's my three questions. So hopefully we can get some answers. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Is there anyone online? Um, while we're, please come to the podium. Is there anyone online uh, that uh, is here to speak? I'm not seeing any. All right, thank you. Yes, sir. Hi, my name is Roger Johnson. I appreciate you guys hearing what we have tonight. I'm here on behalf of Alcove Development. I and my partners are the ones that's going to try and uh, to develop this, I think I can answer your questions. You know, I'm, I'm really here to speak for the reasons for this development. You know, we do infield developments because that's what the city has given us to work within. You know, we've been told by the mayor, by the city council, that do the infield developments and increase the density to keep the cost down. So we're here. We're trying to do duplexes to keep the cost down, try and keep it a little more affordable. And my target for this area would be the retiree type people. That's what you were told. And that's, that's my goal. I can't guarantee it, but that's what we do. You know, we just want to make it more affordable for what we can. The water runoff that will come off of our area, I can't speak for the church, will be contained and I think it'll actually help you at somewhat. You know, 
with our development plan, we will put in new street trees and the landscapings that we're required to put in. Some of those old trees will go. We'll keep as many as we can, but I'll be truthful with you. Some of them will go. And the lots on 13th Street will go off on 13th Street. So we don't have, somebody was concerned about all the traffic coming out of the cul-de-sac, it won't. We're gonna go right into the cul-de-sac and we're gonna go right out. I'll answer any other questions that you have. Okay, I'm not gonna be uh, doing questions at this time, um, but uh, appreciate you giving the feedback. All right, thanks. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Good evening. My name is Jonathan Groney. My wife and I live at 1121 Jana. The west end of our property is uh, butts into the area that's proposed to be rezoned. Um, like the neighbors, I'm I'm un, not in favor of the rezoning. Um, <clears throat> some of that is just the the uh, the change in the neighborhood that comes from uh, higher density. It's true that we want to increase density in the city. That doesn't mean every piece of ground is suitable for increased density. Um, water runoff is a big issue on currently uh, every every. Uh, driveway from 13th Street going to Harvard, the Jana runs downhill, um, has <laughs> driveways that are torn up. Every there when they did those, they didn't have gutters. It was just the apron poured continuously. And the city's come and overlaid asphalt. That's the turbulence from water runoff when we have these really large rains just tears up the, the gutters, tears up the driveways. It's pretty hard <clears throat> to see how increased uh, density, increased runoff area is going to be uh, mitigated when that green field currently isn't able to handle the runoff with, with the parking lot area. Um, another thing I guess I'm concerned about is with duplexes, um, it is common for more people to end up in a duplex than the parking spots that are supposed to be there. So parking's gonna have to go down Jonathan, gonna have to go down Jana. It, it, we're gonna, in a sense, be required to kind of subsidize the parking with, with that increased density. And there's not any contiguous property to this rezoned area that is multifamily. So it's it's kind of a lone area uh, that would be multifamily. So I, I think those are, are considerations for um, keeping the zoning. I mean, we, we didn't buy the house because we said, well, that ground zoned single family, let's buy it. But that's that's the character of the neighborhood. And that's certainly part of why people move into the neighborhood is that character and that that indisputably will be changed with multifamily. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Hi, I'm Steve Menall. I live at 3201 Harvard Road, some three doors east of the church on uh, Harvard. Uh, the church has been a good neighbor. Um, I don't know that we've done justice to, I walk through their green space every day with the 60 year old trees. So that's a very nice area. So it seemed like we were rushing through the fact that this is a beautiful green space. Um, when I first moved there, uh, I looked out during heavy rain. I asked my wife, what the heck? 
And I went out in the torrential rain to find out where all this water was coming from that was just going down and destroying my backyard. So I continue, I have still have water issues. I've spent about $10,000 to address some of them. I still have water issues that run off from the church. So I'm hoping that whatever happens, the church be required to address the existing water issues and to make sure there aren't new water issues with the new area. And I would say, if you go down the Castle Quarter from Bob Billings to 6th Street, that's single-family homes, and that's churches. That's this. This it's not duplexes. So this is going to be a new, uh, a new thing right there. But we we appreciate the opportunity to provide input. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Bill Frederick. Uh, oh. Oops. Stand by one. We'll come to you next. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Hi. Uh, my name is Gary Bjorg. I live on uh, Janet Drive. Um, the, the, some of the issues that were uh, have been mentioned by by uh, uh, neighbors. Uh, I I think you know the parking. When you're talking about putting uh, up to forty residents and the issue of what. Where where will uh, where will people park? I mean, right now, um, you know, Janet Drive. Uh, I I wrote you a letter. I sent a letter to the commission. Uh, there's a like a blind curve on on Janet Drive uh, going down to Lawrence Avenue, and uh, if if anybody parks on on the street because it's so narrow. Uh, if you're coming down that hill, uh, I got to make sure that nobody's accelerating up the hill because there'd be a head-on collision because I there's basically you're, you've got a one-lane road there uh, if somebody's parked on the uh, on the right side. And so so certainly they're going to increase the parking, the issue of, you know, the character of the neighborhood. It's it's fa single family, you know, the west side uh, of Castle uh, and uh, of course, Janet Drive, the, uh, you know, Jonathan, um, you know, people came in to that neighborhood. As someone mentioned, you know, you think of, well, okay, this is single family, uh, area uh, residence area the it's zoned for that uh and generally when uh, you think about a zoning change it's um it's made so someone can make some money and of course now the church is going to make some money and uh, okay and that's fine and the builder is going to make some money and uh, the people that have lived there and have and bought their homes well their property value will be negatively affected and so if you folks want to say okay sorry about that guys um we're gonna let somebody make money out of uh, out of your neighborhood that's not uh i don't think that's really the uh the way the city should treat uh treat residents it's just not uh, not right so thank you thank you And online, um, I didn't catch the name of the gentleman. Yeah, Bill Fredericks. Hi, Bill. Would you, uh, please feel free. Three minutes. What's going on, guys? Hey, I got a couple of couple of things I want to touch on. Uh, first thing was probably the density deal uh, off the off the site plan deal. The uh, the dimensional standards of Section 20-61A states that the maximum dwelling units per acre per acre in the 
RM12D district is 12. And at the size of 3.4 acres, now I, I realize that, that there's setbacks and all this kind of stuff, but the maximum uh, dwelling units permitted under RM12D standards would be 40. So I, I, there's, there's certain scenarios out there that would make this possible or else it wouldn't be that way. So that's one thing. Um, the next thing uh, I have is access. I live right across the street, uh, across the median. Uh, the median's kind of a sore subject with me anyway over the, the whole deal anyway, but uh, basically these people coming in and out of this place will not be able to turn left into their cul-de-sac off of Castle southbound because of the median. Uh, they will be forced to go to the end of the meeting, make a U-turn like I have to do every day when I have to go north uh, and cause ungodly amounts of danger to me. I've, I've had tires squeal behind me many, 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 many times. And, uh, you know, gestures and everything. What the heck are you doing turning in front of me on this median? Well, that's what I got to do because of the design. Well, these people are not are going to be in the same situation, and that's going to double that. And and if they they're going to do a curb cut there on Castle, they need to do a medium cut. And an example of this would be the elimination of the medium at Bob Billings and Bertie uh, Way when the Jayhawk Club, Club was uh, constructed. And uh, I think you know safety should trump all these scenarios and making a U-turn at the end of a median in traffic is not safe, period, period bottom line. And, uh, and uh, one of the, the arguments for that medium in, in the first place was green space and traffic safety and neither one of those words met. Uh, and kind of in closing, uh, con conveniently the requirements of the traffic study uh, don't require any kind of traffic studies, uh, downstream sanitary sewer analysis or drainage studies before rezoning. And that's when it really needs to be done because those greatly affect what this is going to all entail in the end. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a fact that these, uh, uh, with the close proximity to uh, the campus, these are going to be short-term rentals. That's that's all there is to it. You can say they're going to be for the uh, senior citizens, but that's not that's not what's going to happen. Mr. Frederick, I need to ask you to wrap up, please. Okay, they're going to be. Uh, so basically, uh, you know, with adding 40, 24 units, there's going to be 96 people uh, added to the to the neighborhood, and Plus, it's going to double with all the boyfriend, girlfriends, all this kind of stuff going to that castle. Uh, leaving the zoning to uh, single means three lets lots, half as many people in residents in the owner uh, occupancy and, and owner occupancy. Thank you, I realize Thank you, Mr. Fredericks. We're, we're past time. Thank you, sir. Is there anyone else here to uh, present today? Yes, ma'am. Uh, 
Um, my name is Chris Johnson, and I live at 1105 Jana Drive on the cul-de-sac that's been referenced That's has a little pipe that tries to drain the water off of the church's property. And I think the I would challenge the increased density statistics uh, because as Phil mentioned, the the 12 lots in this concept aren't the most that could could be built. And in the study, they studied east of um, castles and west with east having like a 3.93 dwellings per acre, west having 5.11, and that at, at the 12 lots, this piece right in the middle would have 800 or 8.82. And if the developers made more lots, it could be as large as 11.77 uh, dwellings per acre. That is a huge increase between this three point and five point acre. So I there's the statement that says it does not have an impact on the neighborhood to me is needs to be revisited because it's a huge increase in density. And why would they do that? Because when they look at what they're gonna have to do to prevent this drainage, it has to impact their costs. They're gonna have to increase. Right now on the property they're buying is, I believe the correct term is, um, oh, I knew I would forget, retention basin. It's a huge area at the end of the parking lot that's all on their um, property they wanna buy. And that's what drains down this little pipe into the cul-de-sac and does that for days. And that's with this huge green space um, that's absorbing now and it'll be gone. I took a visit up there. Obviously we go there a lot with dogs and kids and stuff. It is a stunning space. When somebody said it's not a green space or a park, I'm like, what's your definition? It is gorgeous. It has more than 50 large trees. This needs to be considered more, I don't know, globally. And I'll tell you, if I'm standing on 13th Street and looking, there just is no area of that property that doesn't go. Yeah. Mr. I need to ask you to wrap up, please. I'm done. Thank right. you. Th thank you very much. Thank you so much. I'm Deborah Markham, and we live right directly behind the church. Um, we moved there in 1990. Uh, at that time, it was owned by the Catholic Church. Um, our property line there, the church ends, and our property line is about 50 feet from their property line. They're back as far as they can go. So whatever they do really impacts our home. Um, from... When we moved there in 1990, we had terrific flooding that came down. 
They built the retention base that's there, but it still comes in. The neighbors on the other side of us who are right next to us have these exact same problem and have had to redo their basement several times because of the flooding that comes in. Um, we have had our home leveled a couple, you know, one time, um, and we'll probably have to do that again because of the amount of water that runs off from their parking lot. Um, when the gentleman was speaking, they do have that retain, retaining area that's supposed to help with the flooding. It does somewhat, but that's exactly where they intend to build something. So taking out the retaining area that's supposed to help us has already added flooding to our home one more time in excess. Um, we appreciate and understand that the church is, um, has a right to build on their ground, but to rezone that, to take away from the neighborhood in which we live, uh, seems uh, that it isn't even just the loss of our property values, it's the damage that will be done to our home because there's no way that you can build that much on there and my home is not going to receive further damage. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyone else in the room who cares to give feedback tonight? Anyone else online? I see anyone. Don't see anyone. All right. Um, uh, ask the applicant, Mr. Hamby. Um, you have a few minutes to uh, give response to the feedback you've heard tonight. Care to address those questions? Um, I heard a lot of questions. I'm going to let Roger. Um, who's in the audience there, take the first shot at it. And then if, if there's any questions that remain, I'd be happy to answer, answer those. Okay. Right. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Hamby is ceding some time to you, Roger. Yeah, put you on the spot. Uh, Johnson, you're on the spot. Yeah. You have to come up. There are a handful of questions. Do you uh, I think we have five minutes here? Is that right? Um, okay. I'm here. That's... So there were a number of questions that uh, uh, there were, uh, in fact, I don't want to guide your feedback here, but uh, okay. do you have some comments that you wish to make to the questions that were asked tonight? I think the biggest question here is the water runoff. I think we can control that with the measures that the city's going to put on our area. What comes off the church really, I mean, we can try and help that. I'm not saying I can, but I'm not saying we won't either. You know, we will have a retention pond. We will slowly release our water into the storm drain instead of it coming off of the park and coming down. I think we can help that, whether we totally solve it or not. I don't know, but we can try. Let, let me add as well, David Hamby with PG. Um, again, if Roger wants to add something, he can, but uh, we have... Uh, so as somebody mentioned the detention ponds that are already in place, those will be factored in if the proposed development takes those out of service. So that's part of the calculation that has to be looked at so that the, the runoff from the site does not increase. So that's something we'll do. And then also we have some ideas on how we can improve the situation for runoff uh, that leaves the site. You know, right now there's there's no underground storm drainage in the area. It's just up on uh, Chana Drive, and so we'll look at ways to to make that better. Uh, in addition to meeting the requirements for the stormwater detention. Thank you, Mr. Hamby. Any other comments? 
I don't. Okay. Um, I would imagine there'll be some more questions coming to you uh, as we take this back right. to the commission, but. Okay. All right, thank you. Other feedback, Mr. Hamby? Are you? I think she wants to. I'm sorry. Uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have, but uh, I don't have anything else to add right now. Right. We've closed public comment. Is there something that, is there something you needed to add? Can you come up to the podium? Podium, please. Thank name. you. Diane Meyer, live at 1321 Jonathan Court. And when the comment is made that the only problem is the water, this will irrevocably change our neighborhood. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, anything further from the applicant? No, nope, ma'am. Public comments closed now. I'm sorry. Public comments closed now. Thank you. Any other feedback from the applicant? Then I'll bring that back to the commission. Okay. Yeah, I, yes. Uh, I noticed that most or a lot of the public comment is from residents of Janet Court and Janet Drive. So I, um, I went there to see to see what it looks like, and and I can I I can picture in a rainstorm, um, you know, it's a significant slope. Um, talk to some residents, and and they do mention that, you know, the when it rains, the water just pours down that hill. I I've seen the uh, driveways impacted. Um, I don't know exactly what caused. I'm assuming it's the water, but I mean, I definitely see damage. So. Um, I think it's I think it's an issue that we need to under so I would like to understand what the developer is proposing um, or you know it, yeah if you if you can mitigate that concern you know just somehow make us feel that they're not going to be if if anything better off but not worse off than they are today you know and 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 I know you've kind of talked about it but that's uh, you know, I think Dave is probably better at this than us, but that, you know, we want to decrease the amount of water that leaves the site that we're buying <clears throat> that will come down that hill. You know, we want to get it off of our site into a storm drain and not running down the hill and running down on these people. And, and David can address this, but I think that's very feasible for us to do it. I think it will help. Can we guarantee it? No, but we're, we'll do our damnedest. I mean, I you know we the section that we're buying, I think will help. You know what? And if we can help the church put it into a storm drain, where it's not all running down the hill, you know maybe we can pick up some of the water from the church and put it into a pipe. I think it's a benefit to you, but you know that's what we do. Thank you. Uh, David Hamby, BG Consultants. Um, I just wanted to add, uh, Roger's exactly right that uh, we'll try to improve this as best we can. I, we do have some ideas. So, you know, anybody who's been around Lawrence understands that in 2006, the new development code is put into place as far as the requirements for stormwater detention. And that's substantially more than what was done um, before that time. And so the detention basin that's there, um, understandably, 
it was met the requirements at the time, but if it was built that way today, it would be much larger and impact, uh, the impact would be much less on the neighbors. And so, you know, and as these neighbors have pointed out, they're facing a problem today and that problem is not going to go away with no improvements on this lot and no improvements are going to be made on this lot most likely because there's no requirement to do so and no money to do so. And so with this improvement, the south half of the lot will be regraded. That water will be directed to a detention pond that's direct, that's designed to city standards. And we'll, we'll do the best we can to even mitigate above those standards if we can as part of the project to make the situation better. But no question, the south half of this lot will not see an increased runoff above what it is today. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I have a question for staff uh, with respect to, to parking requirements in RS7 as opposed to RM12D. Just what are the differences? I understood that RM12D provides for uh, higher density, but are there different requirements with respect to having off-site parking, garages, et cetera? Kyle Covey with planning. Yeah, so the parking requirements are based on the use. Um, so, uh, for example, let's say it's RS7 and they're developing detached dwellings. Those require two off-street parking spaces, where a duplex use requires one parking space per bedroom. So the difference would come down to the use itself, and then it would be based on bedroom bedrooms in the case of a duplex, where with a detached dwelling, it's two required regardless of size or or anything like that. I think Kyle hit on but just to, to highlight there that the parking is a function of the use and is not a component of the zoning that's applied. Right. What was that? I'm sorry. Parking is a function of the use, not a function of the zoning that's applied to the land. I'm in a sorry, I'm in a weird two two directional setup there. So <laughs> thank you for letting me know. Their questions, discussion? Um, again, yes. So um, I would like to address the um, issue where what is what is stopping a large hedge fund or a large investor in town to come in and purchase that place and turn into a short-term rentals? And what if further down the line, that area turns into, you know, like they mentioned before, 40 units or 30 units, like what is stopping this development from, from that happening? Is there anything in place stopping that? Oh, Kobe with planning. So um, a portion of what you just, so short-term rentals would be, let me double check real quick. Um, short-term rentals, are allowed in the RS7 district provided they are owner occupied, where in the RM12D district, they would not require, it would not require the owner to live at that residence as well. So in some ways um, that use is allowed there just with some extra provisions. So that would be something that would be opened up to a certain degree. Um, and I'm blanking on what the other question was. I'm, I, I apologize. What was the second half of the, of the question? No, no, no. That that basically was it. They, I was just trying to to figure it out. Uh, 
I'm based I'm, on. I'm sorry, so, I don't mean to interrupt. I, I think you had some question about like what's to stop somebody from putting additional units on there. Um, that would be a function more or less of the amount of lots that you were able to fit in there. And I know that there was some discussion about the, the number 40. That number is when you apply um, those standards um, without accounting for the dedication of right-of-way or if, um, let's say, for example, a drainage easement needed to go in, something that is going to um, take up some of that land area. So when you see that number, that is assuming you are just jamming as many of those lots in there, like in a checkerboard pattern as possible. But um, so like using the concept drawing, for example, um, a large portion of that, as you can see, is would be a, a cul-de-sac. So one way, shape or form, um, additional right-of-way is probably going to be needed. I don't know how this could be accommodated without doing that, just because street frontage is a requirement of each lot. So some degree of, of the area will be taken up with the street. Um, we, I can't give you an exact number on that. We, we tend to calculate about 20% roughly. Um, which is why you see the, the, the number 40 in one place and you see lower numbers um, in other locations. Yeah, looking at this concept, um, you know, I'm looking at 12 um, duplex. If it goes through and they actually build 12 duplex and this actually still end up in the hands of a large, large investor, the construction of this duplex, regardless of what type of wood they use, regardless of what type of materials they use, even if the, the fence at the back is, is, is with cedar wood, it will have basically no benefits to the surrounding areas because I believe the value of this duplex will be calculated by its gross rent multiplier. So basically, um, Appraisals, when they go in and look at uh, homes in the surrounding areas, can I, you cannot use this duplex as a comp. So the value around these homes, danger simply depreciates. So if these duplex are sold individually to residents, that might change because appraisal might look at it differently. But if it's a single owner, renting those homes, it brings no benefits whatsoever to the area. So that's that's basically what I have to say for now. Thank you, Commissioner Rose. Other comments? Questions? No? <clears throat> Commissioner Carpenter. Well, as a follow-up, uh, Mr. Johnson, could you give us a definition, your definition of what these duplexes would be? Yeah, there'd probably be three bedroom, two bath. Uh, okay. We're gonna try and keep them fairly reasonable. At some point, I think we will divide them up and try and develop a 50 and older community. That's That's our plan for it. So, you know, our current land development code is a little wishy-washy on defining duplexes. Um, right. One of the definitions is, you know, two dwelling units on a single lot that can be sold separately. Is that, right. That's is right. that what you intend? Yes, sir. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> I, I might state one thing else. 
right now, I think we're going to do this as a planned community. So that the yard, the yards, snow removal, and that stuff will be under one. It'll be done. So, I mean, so you're thinking that we'll have an HOA. Right. That's that's what I was going to. You would have a requirement of an HOA to maintain that space. This would be a private street. No, it'll be a city street, it would but be still, a city street. we would take the lots on 13th and the cul-de-sac and put them all in an HOA. Okay. I don't want, I don't want to build something and then somebody takes care of one and then the next person down the road doesn't. That, that's not my goal here. Thanks. Another question for you, Mr. Johnson. So if we decide tonight not to approve this zoning change, to allow duplexes, what would your plans be for this area? To walk. And I'll tell you why. If you look at the infrastructure, the stormwater, and the other stuff, you can't do it. The cost is too expensive. Without duplexes? Right. Okay. Unless we get the density up. I mean, you know, we're going to end up with a $500,000 duplex. I mean, a 500000 or $550,000 home in that area, which won't support it. Okay, don't go away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if this goes to RM12 standards and you end up not wanting to build duplexes by changing the zoning, um, other uses that are permitted by right, I mean, we have assisted living, adult daycare, extended care facility. Um, I'm just wondering, would any of those be something that could be built on that lot if it's not converted to duplexes with that zoning? You have to change the zoning. Well, those are permitted under RM12D. I just wondered if you come right now you're with right now you're at RS. Would it would it work to build a different concept? Because we're asking what we're having to look at is whether we approve or recommend approval of a zoning change uh, based on a concept plan. Mm. You know, we can't right. require, can make it contingent that you actually build duplexes in X amount of time. So we have other permitted uses. Are there other permitted uses that would meet the profitability goals that you just mentioned, or is duplex the best way to go for there? I mean, yeah, I think you have a valid question, and probably the answer is there could be. That's just not what I do. I mean, I don't build assisted livings, and I don't know how many units you need. Or maybe you go to homes that have seven, eight people in them at a time. Right. I don't know. that. I can't answer your question. Yeah, it's, well, it was a question. I know that you concentrate on certain types of construction. I'm aware of that. But if something doesn't work for you and you walk away and we have this zoning change, I'm trying to get an idea of what other possible things could come in mm -hmm. once there's a zoning change that we're not anticipating right. based on this current concept. I think I can only say one thing for me. If you change the zoning and we can get this to work, I'm not walking away. This is what I do. I think this is what Lawrence needs. I mean, you know, I've grown up here. I've been here my whole life. You know, we used to build 300 houses a year. Now we're down to 100, 110. 
you got the battery plant coming in. If Lawrence wants to absorb anything of that, you got to get some housing. We don't have it. Those of us that worked on Plan 2040 agree with that. I mean, that's what the push is, is try to get that infill while we get plans in place to, you know, on mm -hmm. how to properly annex into the city to meet some of these other demands. But right now, the big goal is infill development. This kind of meets that. I mean, I live on a street that has a cul-de-sac with duplexes off of Lernard. I mean, it's... They're there. Yeah, yeah, they're it doesn't there. make it. It's just part of the neighborhood. You know, it's always that that first change is hard, but but things become part of the neighborhood. And and that's that's what's there. And I, you know, I think I guess while you're up here, the other one is about the access. Is this going to be right turn in? Right turn in and, and right turn out. I'm not asking to change the median. Yeah. No. No cross on the median there. No, sir. That would be another whole new obstacle. You bet. Plus a whole bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Castle to rebuilt, it seems like every five to 10 years. So who knows? Um, yeah. I don't know. We could never seem to have Castle done. So I, yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I have some other questions. Thank you, Mr. Carpenter. If I may, Mr. Vice Chair. Yes, Mr. Carter. Thank you. Um, this is a question uh, for the applicant. Um, if, uh, following up on Commissioner Carpenter's question, if you could talk a little bit about the timeline, anticipated timeline for your project. Uh, I, I got to say, you know, I, one of my misgivings has to do with, I think Commissioner Carpenter alluded to this, um, a zoning change goes with the property, not the applicant. And so if we approve this zoning change and you do walk, we still have, you know, 3.4 acres that are zoned RM12. Um, and um, you know, we have in the past uh, seen items come before us in kind of bundles. We'd have a zoning change um, combined with a preliminary you know, plat or a prelim preliminary site plan. Uh, a decision to take this um, in, in separate stages as opposed to trying to do it all at once. Uh, David Hamby, BG Consultants. I'll talk to the just the way we proceed with the, the plan. So um, as, as you realize, there's a lot of um, costs associated with anything beyond a rezoning that's even speculative. So, um, you know, if we could guarantee the rezoning is approved, it would make the developer a lot more comfortable providing or uh, proceeding with the preliminary plat, all the studies associated with it. I mean, you're talking ten to twenty, maybe thirty thousand dollars, just to get to the preliminary plat stage. So um, that's that's a lot of money just to to go in with the rezoning not assured. So I'll, I'll let uh, Roger follow up with the schedule on his end. Uh, our plan now is, if we could pass this evening, is to submit both permanent and both plats at the same time. So the next time we, we come, we'll have both plats done and not drag it out. Does that thank answer you. your question? Yeah, I, I believe it does. Thank you. And thank you, Mr. Hanby, for your answer as well. Yes, Commissioner Carpenter. So just a question for staff on the process. If 
we recommend approval of the zoning and we just heard we're going to see both plats will the preliminary plat come back to us Kyle Cove with planning. Yeah, the preliminary plat comes through the planning commission and is subject to review and approval there. The final plat goes through city commission for dedications of rights of way and, and easements. Um, it's reviewed by staff, um, but it generally like the it's mostly is it in conformance with the preliminary plat? Are there any substantial changes? Um, and then we look at where those easements are, what how much right of way, is it wide enough, all those kinds of things, which I mean largely are going to be reviewed during the preliminary plat phase as well. Um, but yeah, the preliminary will come back through and then the final would go to city commission for all those dedications. And, and Kyle, that preliminary plat will have all the stormwater uh, plans in it. The studies and all, all of the things that we've been referencing, traffic impact study, drainage study, that's all done through that planning process, yes. Right. So that's another chance for, well, we have a chance for public input when this goes to the city commission after our vote tonight then a chance for public input when we have the preliminary plat back here. And then the preliminary plat does not go to the city commission unless there's a protest, correct? The preliminary plat, not, not, are you referring to the rezoning or the preliminary plat? Just a preliminary plat. After we see the preliminary plat, is there the ability to protest that? Your, your decision on a preliminary plat is the final. Is final. And then, and then the to... final plat is administratively approved and that one can be protested to cause a hearing at the city commission. Yes. <laughs> we are double checking on that one because it's I cannot recall that off the top of my head at the moment. <laughs> this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. No, it goes before the City Commission for the acceptance of rights of way and easements, and that's all that would be done. Okay. It's an administrative procedure. There's no protest, and there's, you know, if it meets the if it meets the standards of the city code, then it's administrative and it's approved. All right. If so it does not meet, then it has to be denied. So, all right. The last public input is effectively at the preliminary plat stage in front of the planning commission. Is that correct? Correct. For the planning extra for the planning applications, that'd be correct. All right. Now to go to a different topic. We've heard a lot of um, issues about the drainage from the ch existing church parking lot. Um, that can't be resolved with this particular project. They only are responsible for the land that they're developing. So what is the recourse for a community member that's having issues that are identified as coming from another property owner? Is there a place in the city where people can make complaints or are they on their own? So how, could you explain that process? I'll do my best. It, part of what municipal services and operations does with their stormwater team is look at those items to see are plans that were approved in conformance or has something changed that needs to be addressed. So part of the stormwater team at municipal services and operations looks into those details and will kind of work through those if there is something that is out of out of out of approval for lack of a better description there. There are other instances where um, owners of properties have gotten together to resolve larger items like that. So if, if uh, in this instance, if the church would like to participate to help mitigate that, it could be an agreement between the two private parties to help 
work that into the solution. There isn't anything in code that would compel that agreement to occur in, on from code standards. On the concept plan that is in our packet, it shows moving or building new parking areas with the current church. Does that trigger a new site plan approval process for the church? I think adding the parking areas would require uh, a review um, for, for that change. Um, I can't tell you right now if that would what level of site plan review, but that would be that would require some something. There is a, I believe, an SUP in place right now. Um, we would potentially review it through that or through a, a site plan process. But I, I don't know that for sure. It would depend on the amount and um, the details, how much area is being impacted, how much parking is being added, how does it relate to the parking requirements. Um, we'd have to get into that at that time, but I can tell you that that would require a review of some kind. And depending on the surface area, that could trigger a review of the stormwater components and to try to bring things up to code, correct? It would, it would depend on the level of site planning applicable to the property. If it's a standard site plan, only the areas being adjusted would be subject to code. But if it was a major site plan, then the whole site would be subject to review of the code at that time. So depending upon how much is added and what that final proposal is, that would determine which site planning level is applicable. I'm, I'm just exploring the opportunities for the neighbors to participate in trying to address some of their water issues because we can't put the entire burden on this parcel. <laughs> They're only responsible for what happens on their land, not on the what will be a separate lot with the church. So thanks for all those answers. <clears throat> Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Other comments, questions? Do we feel like we're at a place we've we've got an understanding of where we'd like to be? Is anyone comfortable with forwarding a motion for us to discuss? Long pause. <laughs> I guess I would be interested then in more comments. If no one's interested in making the motion, what what other things am I not thinking about or what, what's causing people to hesitate? Yeah. I, I am not sure that um, I feel comfortable with after hearing the, the comments from the neighbors with the increased density that uh, having duplexes, um, there, there could be infill on this property without having duplexes. And the, it is out of the character of this neighborhood of single family homes to have a duplex, no place around it do we have this um, zoning change. So I, at this point, I am not comfortable with saying I would vote for changing the zoning so we could have duplexes. If the church finds another buyer that wants to 
purchase this property and have single family homes on it, I, I would be in favor of that. I could vote for it, but with duplexes, uh, when I, I hear that, uh, the number of parking spaces is based upon the number of bedrooms. Are we going to have renters come in here? Are we going to have the homeowners live there? We don't have any control over that at this point. So I, at this point, am not in favor of approving this zoning change. Thank you, Commissioner Thomas. Anyone else care to share their thoughts? Bueno, um, uh, uh, Commissioner Pedro, uh, on that regard, I uh, I agree with Commissioner Thomas. Where you know, um, I I'm in favor of uh, you know building more homes in the city. The city needs it, but I also believe that, and instead of you know 12 duplex being built, I would love to see 12 single family homes built and sold at a price that it will help the value of those surrounding neighbors. That's what I think and I believe we should do. Um, you know, this changing of zoning, it leaves, you know, there's a lot of potentials and and for multifamily and triplex and, and duplex. And I, you know, there's, there's a lot in question that I just, um, we won't have any power on it. So for that regard, I, uh, I'm not in favor of, of, of this request. Thank you. I might share a comment. Um, I, uh, I have a great deal of concern about um, how the neighbors will be impacted uh, by the question of drainage. Uh, there's, there's clearly an existing problem. Um, I look at the concept plan and I, I hear that retention uh, ponds or basins will be uh, put in there. I'm not quite sure. I'm not a, an architect, so I, maybe it's it's evident to you. I look at that and I'm, I'm not sure how that's solved in this. Um, I have a great deal of concern about um, how that will impact uh, the neighbors. I, I also know that um, uh, our community's values are about infill and density. It's inherent in, in our comprehensive plan. Um, agree with the notion that uh, we have a pretty significant um, uh, issue facing us with what's going to happen with the Panasonic plant as it comes in. Um, I take it face value, um, your comments, person in the industry that says you can't build single family homes on this lot given the issues that are there, given the drainage problems that are there, given the work you'd have to do and be able to, to sell them. That would be inconsistent with the neighborhood as well, but to maybe the developer's um, detriment. Um, I really wish that we had both a, a plat and the rezoning request at the same time, because it would let us get at some of this a little bit more detail, but we don't. We have what we have. Um, I'm inclined to support advancing us to this next step. I probably, I wouldn't do that at all. I don't think if, if we didn't have a chance to look at the plat, if we didn't have a chance, and particularly if this opened up, which wouldn't happen otherwise, a look at uh, the site plan around the church and the drainage issues from that perspective. So 
because of that, because we have the, this opens an opportunity for us to look at the positives that might happen around the neighborhood, as well as um, the opportunity to bring in um, housing in uh, a situation where we have infill. I'm inclined to support this, given that we've got those next steps to look at. If I may, Mr. If I may, yes, and, and I guess piggyback off of that, I, I appreciate that if this goes forward tonight, that there would be additional opportunities for public comment and other bodies would have an opportunity to consider this and to weigh all the different factors involved here. But I, I am, I, I guess, cautious and skeptical, uh, particularly in light of some of our discussion around uh, agenda item one tonight that there was, I, I guess, a, a certain amount of uh, deference given to procedural inertia in the fact that something had already advanced to this particular stage, that that would then suggest that it, it's worthy of advancing to the next stage. And personally, I'm reluctant to take part in that process tonight, having heard the very compelling comment comments from the public. But I, I think this is an opportunity to pump the brakes, say this isn't appropriate for this particular neighborhood. And that uh, that's not to say that no development or no infill wouldn't be appropriate, but it's to suggest that um, maybe a a change of this potential magnitude isn't necessary or appropriate at this time. Thank you, Commissioner Munch. Mr. Chair, if I may real quick, just wanted to highlight a, a point of difference there. I think it's been brought up a couple times. The zoning district that's being requested tonight is RM12D, which does not permit multi-dwelling structures. So triplexes, quadplexes, apartments are not permitted in the zoning district being being asked for this evening. If it was RM12 without the D at the end of it, that's a different different zoning district has different uses. I just wanted to highlight the difference in case that was uh, a little unclear this evening. Thank you. So it does limit uh, the complexity or the... It does? Yeah. It, correct. It, the, the 12D would not allow the multi-dwelling structure. And under the land development code, anything above three units and above qualifies as a multi-dwelling. Very good. Thank you. I'm inclined to support it. It does meet the goals of Plan 2040. Um, I know that some of the big issues that are coming up in redrawing, redrafting the land development code is to increase the mixture of housing types in neighborhoods. This goes towards that as an infill project. Having lived with duplexes, <laughs> catty corny from me, up the street from me, Duplexes are part of the neighborhood. Um, they become part of the neighborhood. There is a traffic issue here that is going to have to be resolved, and I'm, that's going to come at the next step when they do the, the traffic planning. I think the, the water issues, um, given the emphasis that's placed on that with the concerns and looking at the topographic map, this is quite a challenge <laughs> to deal with the runoff in that area. And I think this provides the opportunity to address some of those. And we're going to see a lot of that in the preliminary plat. Um, I want to just say to the other commissioners, everything we say here is recorded and the city commissioners are going to be watching this. 
So they'll be hearing the whole conversation so they can listen to all of this. We just recommend whether or not to approve this or not. They get the final decision. Um, what we do may be, may affect the total number of votes they have to have, but uh, yeah. they still have the final decision and they can put other conditions on that we don't even have the ability to put conditions on. So our discussion, I, I think, has gone over lots of issues. The public comment's been wonderful. And I want to thank everybody for coming out and adding that, and especially the written comments, too, because all of those are read and they are being addressed. I think you, you hope that we're hearing, that we're trying to go through that process up here and get as complete information as we can to the city commission. So I think we're meeting a goal, we're meeting the future goals, and there are going to be changes and they're going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but I don't think it's, it does eliminate what has been open space for, for a neighborhood, but we see that all too often, and that's part of private development. Um, and we can't solve that one, but we can make sure that what goes in doesn't have um, excessive negative impacts on anyone around it. And I think it can be beneficial to have this additional type of housing units available. Uh, we're seeing such a crunch in price points on housing. This can open up some housing that's not available to people that are unable to find housing now. And that's one of the advantages of this zoning category right now. And since it is limited to only two dwelling units per lot, um, I'm pretty comfortable. If this was a multi-unit, like we were putting three duplex, you know, stacking duplexes on top of each other, so we had four, I wouldn't be comfortable at all, but I'm comfortable with this scale. And I think that and I'm not one to say this very often, but given who's involved in developing this project, I think they're gonna pay attention to everything that's been said here. And you're gonna see a lot of these uh, issues addressed when it comes back to us as a preliminary plat. This is local developers that, are, that have known patterns as opposed to developers from some other state coming in with yeah. an idea. So we have, we have some track record that goes into what I'm saying here for me tonight and then what I'm putting in. So I'm, I'm in favor of advancing this to the city commission. I'm very curious to see what comes back with the preliminary plat because I think we might have a lot to discuss at that time too with some suggestions and and such and to work out things. And I hope the neighbors stay involved and I hope the developer stays involved with the neighbors as we go forward to address some of these other issues because I think this can turn into a, a, a good project for this area. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Anyone else care to comment? Mr. Vice Chair, if I may. Commissioner Carter. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah. You, you, you guys are a tough act to follow. Um, I think you stated um, really eloquently um, uh, most of my concerns. I I have to say I you know I'm somewhat on the fence, but I lean in favor of supporting this. Um, I think it it squarely advances the the goals of Plan 2040. Um, I'm really sensitive to the neighbors' concerns about change. 
um, in particular, you know, of, of density and also um, drainage concerns. I think that we'll have a chance to review that as part of the uh, the, the site plan. Um, I'm I'm, con I'm I'm I think my biggest concern has to do with traffic safety. Um, I think the proximity to 13th Street means that southbound, you know, anybody who's coming from the north and wants to enter this prop, wants to enter the cul-de-sac, um, has potential to cause some real problems um, at uh, when they perform a U-turn at 13th Street. And I think that's something that the city should pay really close attention to. Um, but uh, I, I have to say, overall, I think this does, um, you know, advance Plan 2040 and, and, and the interests of the city. As as a whole, thank you, Commissioner Carter. Other comment questions? Are we ready to make a motion. Anyone care to start us? I'll make a motion. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Um, I move that we recommend approval of the request to rezone approximately 3.4 acres from RS7 district to RM12D district based on the findings presented in the, st presented in the staff report and forward to the city commission with a recommendation for approval. Do we have a second? Second. Second by Mr. Carpenter. Um, any further discussion? Before we take a vote, I'll just uh, say I, I really appreciate the, the rich discussion. Um, it's not our job necessarily to get to consensus, um, but to make sure that we hear clearly the public and that we, we go through this process thoughtfully. And I, I feel like we've we've vetted this pretty well and have offered something pretty rich for the City Commission to consider. Thank you. With that, Ms. Crick, would you please call the vote? Commissioner Barotto? No. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? No. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? No. Motion passes five to three. Thank you all. We are two and a half hours in. It might be time for a break. Does anybody have any objection to taking uh, five minutes to stretch our legs? We need to vote on that no just call up <laughs> let's uh let's come back at uh, 10 minutes after nine and we'll pick back up again welcome back um moving on to item number three um consider approving a request to rezone approximately 3.23 acres from industrial business park to limited industrial district uh subject property is unaddressed at this time um Parcel number is 0 oh, I'm not going to read that. Submitted by BG <laughs> Consultants on behalf of 1217Y LLC. Luke Mortensen is here to uh, talk about the project. Luke? Okay. Good evening, uh, everybody, or good evening, Commissioners. Luke Mortensen, Planner with the Planning and Development Services Department. As Chair Rexrow just noted, item E3 is a request to rezone approximately 3.23 acres from IBP Industrial Business Park District to IL Limited Industrial District at what will be addressed as 4801 Quillcrest Place. The subject property is located um, uh, at the bulb of the Quailcrest Place cul-de-sac uh, that is east of Walker Drive 
and north of Bob Billings Parkway. The subject property is currently undeveloped. The majority of the lot is fairly flat, but slopes um, down to the south and southeast at its rear. You can see the slope um, based off of the height of the trees in the background. This is a Google image, Google Street View image from 2018. The subject property is an undeveloped lot. It was platted and recorded in 1988. Um, it's remained undeveloped since that time. It was zoned M1 district under the city's previous zoning code. That was the 1966 Lawrence zoning code. The M1 district was a research oriented zoning district that converted to the IBP district upon the adoption of the current land development code in 2006. Um, obviously the subject property is circled in red. That's what we're talking about tonight. So the applicant has submitted a request to rezone the subject property um, to the limited industrial district in order to establish a personal convenience services use. Um, They're looking to do a hair salon, a new structure. Uh, the personal convenience services use is not permitted uh, in the current IBP district. It is permitted by right in the IL district. Staff reviews proposed rezonings against the review and decision-making criteria as noted in Article 13 of the Land Development Code. Uh, these include the golden factors that you're familiar with. First, conformance with the comprehensive plan. The proposed rezoning uh, aligns with the number of Plan 2040 stated goals. They include many of the Chapter 3 industrial growth and development goals. Most of these goals center on establishing zoning districts and land uses that are compatible and enhance existing identified industrial areas. You'll note that the subject area is adjacent to the Oriad West Business Park across Wakarusa, which is an identified industrial area. More detailed descriptions of how this proposed rezoning satisfies the comprehensive plan's goals are noted in the staff report. The second criteria focuses on adjacent land use, land uses and zoning districts. The subject property is surrounded by existing IVP district to the north, northeast and west, the OS, the open space district to the east, the GPI, which is general public and institutional land use district to the south, and the Bella Serra Planned Residential Development District to the southeast. Adjacent land uses include other undeveloped lots, a wholesale storage distribution use, office uses, and multi-dwelling residential land uses. Staff believe this proposed rezoning will be compatible with the adjacent zoning districts and existing land uses. Oops, excuse me. The subject property is located within the larger Quail Run neighborhood. This is a very large neighborhood area with a variety of land uses, including residential, commercial, office, industrial, and institutional land uses. This proposed rezoning would restrict most of the limited industrial district uses to those that are also permitted in the IBP district. That's the current district. That would allow for, um, and it would permit the proposed personal convenience services. So that would allow for the establishment of the proposed hair salon while maintaining the character of the surrounding IVP districts, low impact focus on employment, manufacturing and office uses. The remaining golden factors are shown on this slide. The subject property and the joining properties are not included within any adopted small area or nodal plans. The subject property is generally suitable to the uses permitted within the current IVP district, 
However, the applicant is proposing, as we've talked about, to establish a new personal convenience services use. The subject property would remain suitable to all IBP district uses, except for the following, cultural center library, extended care facility general, accessory restaurant, and private dining establishment uses. These are IBP district uses that are not permitted in the IL district. The subject property was platted um, in 1988. It's remained undeveloped since that time. Staff does not believe that the proposed rezoning would detriment detrimentally affect nearby properties. The allowed uses and the proposed use will generally uh, or would generally mirror and serve the adjacent properties um, allowed uses and their current users. Additionally, future land uses, including the subject property, would be um, subject to the major site planning process, which requires full compliance with both the land development code and the community design manual. If this proposed rezoning were denied, the property would remain vacant as an IBP property until a permitted use would, is established. The proposed rezoning to the IL district with restricted uses would allow for the development of an existing undeveloped lot while generally maintaining the character of the surrounding IBP zoning district. Section 20-1303 of the Land Development Code addresses the types of conditions um, that may be placed on a proposed rezoning. One form of conditions includes restricted uses as has been proposed here. The proposed conditions must satisfy Section 20-1303 H11 of the code. This proposed rezoning with restricted uses um, satisfies multiple of plan of the 2040 goals, mostly those that seek to develop residential or excuse me, develop industrial uh, uses that meet the needs of the community and are compatible with one another in these existing identified industrial areas. This pro proposed rezoning would not result in adverse effects or negative externalities. The Isle District uses the same, uses are the same, excuse me, I get my, the IL and IVP, I say it too many times. Um, the Isle District uses that are more intense than what the IBP District permits would not be permitted. The allowed uses will, would generally be the same as the current zoning district and would be compatible with the surrounding area. Staff included some analysis of the lesser change table in the staff report. Only the IBP and the CN2 neighborhood districts are considered lesser changes uh, to the IL district. First of all, the IBP district does not permit the proposed use and this subject property does not align with the CN2 districts um, location standards. Those focus on minimum distances from other CN2 districts and uh, focus on locations near intersections of arterial streets and arterial, arterial rights of way. Uh, and the final criteria within the um, conditional zoning component is not applicable to this proposed rezoning. So to wrap this up, staff recommends approval of Z-22-00217 to rezone approximately 3.2 acres from IBP district to IL district with use restrictions as noted in the staff report and forwarding to the city commission with a recommendation of approval. With that, I'll wrap up. I will note that um, the applicant is with us this evening and we had a good amount of public input, especially from the Bellicera community. And I do believe that some of them will be with us tonight as well.
Thank you, Luke. Um, Mr. Hamby, um, this is a big night for you. Are you uh, still with us? I am. I haven't gone anywhere. All right. Thanks. Okay. Thank you uh, again, Commissioners. Uh, David Hamby with BG Consultants. I don't have a whole lot to say on this. I appreciate staff's work on this. We've had numerous conversations about this, and I would point out that the developer um, is also here as well. And so uh, there's a staff recommendation of approval. I don't know that I have a whole lot to say. Um, we did have some conversations with the Bellicero residents. I think their, their main concerns about lighting, so that can be pretty easily addressed. But um, with that, I don't have anything else to add. Thank you, Mr. Hamby. And with that, uh, it's time for public comment. Um, if you're here to speak on this issue, please uh, come to the podium and give us your name. You have uh, three minutes to share your comments. If you're online, please raise your hand physically or digitally and uh, we'll call on you. Anyone here to speak? Yes, yes, sir. Hi, my name's uh, Evan Holt and I uh, am with uh, KW Commercial. And uh, I uh, represent the seller on this, not the applicant. Uh, what I'd like to say is that uh, this, uh, this parcel's in the Oread West uh, Industrial Business Park, which is the most underutilized uh, properties and uh, parcels that we have in the city of Lawrence. And the reason's twofold. One of it's because of the use groups don't really meet the needs of our commercial uh, development. The other one's also because the Orad West has some design guidelines that uh, puts further restrictions in what the city requires. Uh, another parcel I had that wanted to put a 10,000 square foot building on it under the city standards would have cost 1.4 million. Under uh, the standards that the uh, Orad West requires, it was 1.8. It killed that deal because of of that. This deal here, they don't they don't mind. They're going to do a gorgeous building all those other things. The other point I'd like to be able to bring up is that, uh, you know, as a person who does uh, sales and leasing of commercial real estate, I've had 20 plus cosmetologists reach out to me over the last four years and basically saying, hey, I'd like to see this to be able to lease this property and all that. And my answer is always, I'm sorry, you can't, you're not a, an allowed use group. And so there is a huge need in West Lawrence that does not want to be in a strip mall. And the reasons they don't want to be in a strip mall is natural lighting is very important. It's more spa-like. But if they were regulated by the medical industry as a med spa, which is in the vanity business, they would be allowed. And so I think we have some disconnects in the uh, kind of the way the code is for IVP. I think we have disconnects between what is a med spa versus what is cosmetology and who should be allowed and shouldn't they both be allowed in the same zone or the same area? I, I think the answer is probably yes. And, and I know we're going through some code changes. I'm going to be part of all that because there's some nuances. I think both of those industries have kind of grown together. Cosmetology has, has you know, at the high end really does nice stuff and med spa has moved into more of the vanity type work. And so for that reason, I just wanted to convey that, you know, I think this is a great project. It's on point, it's a gorgeous building. And so therefore I support it. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Anyone else here to speak on this? All 
I'm uh, Chris Nichols, one of the developers and partners on the project. Uh, first thing I'd like to thank is Luke Mortensen for his thorough uh, report that he put together on this project and his diligence for the recommendation. Like Evan had mentioned, this property has sat vacant since I was a kid, uh, mid 80s. Um, it's going to sit vacant unless there's some change to the way we structure how some of the businesses correlate to the code. And this is a prime example of one of those businesses. The only item I would ask or that I would also offer on top of this is the fact that there is a financial benefit to the city for this. Obviously, when we go put a $1.5 million building into a neighborhood, there's a pretty good size tax that goes along with that. And that property tax, I think, is a pretty big point given today's certain uh, economic conditions. So if there are any other questions, um, certainly around, I also have obviously David Hamby here from BG Consultants. I have my architect, Craig Shaw from Shaw Hofstra on hand, as well as the owner on hand, uh, Jenny Harrison. So we're all available to answer questions. Thank you so much. Anyone else in the room care to comment? Is there anyone online here to comment on this item? See anyone raising a hand. All right. Um, Mr. Hamby, uh, you are allowed a little bit of time to respond um, if you'd like to. Uh, David Hamby, Beachy Consultants. Um, I didn't really see or hear any questions that came up, but I'd be happy to answer any other questions that may come up. All right, with that, uh, thank you. With that, we'll bring it back to the commission and we very well may have some questions for you. Anyone like to start us off? Any questions, comments? David, you had talked about the the um, residents that are close to that, about the lighting, and you said that was an easy fix. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure, David Hamby, BG Consultants. The The main concern that we heard was about uh, lighting that went on late into the night. Um, this The hours on this is intended to be maybe 7 or 8 p.m., just a couple times a week. So if, by the time that's over, then the, the lighting should be able to be dimmed and it's not going to stay on all night long. So I think the, the big concern was, you know, just having parking lot lights or some other lights that just had a, a glare that, that uh, as you could see from that Google Earth, um, Bellister is pretty visible over the trees there. So that was the concern. Luke Mortensen, Planning and De Development Services. I'll just add uh, for Commissioner Thomas, uh, as part of the major site plan process, uh, a full photometric plan, a compliant photometric plan is going to be required. So that's a point by point um, graphic and exhibit showing um, with foot candles, the amount of spillover light across property lines, and we will measure that against um, the maximum allowed maximum allowed spillover crossover light. We also will look at the um, uh, the type of the light uh, structure itself, uh, cut off all those elements. That'll be included in the major site plan process if the rezoning is approved. Other questions, discussion? Yes, Mr. Vice Chair. Carter, I need to do a better job of watching Zoom. <laughs> it's Sorry. quite all right. I, I realize this is, if this is a sign that I better be in person next time. Um, 
I have a question. This uh, just to follow up on our last item. Um, uh, just to confirm, this is a question for staff. Uh, the next steps, uh, should this be approved, uh, the next steps in this process uh, would be a preliminary site plan. Is that right? That's Luke Mortensen Planning Development Services. Uh, the the lot is platted, and and to my knowledge, the lot will be staying the same. So in that case, the next step would be the major site plan process, and that is administrative. Got it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. <clears throat> Mr. Carpenter, just had questions about the zoning categories and what we're about to start in our process. Can anybody tell me how many of the parcels in the West Hills Business Park have we done conditional zoning on to light industrial so far? Luke Mortensen, Planning and Development Services. Um, I think I listed them in the staff report. Um, if this one was approved, the number, this would likely be number four or five, but let me, let me double check and I'll, I'm looking through my report right now. That's good. But you are correct. This would be similar, uh, similar rezonings to those. Yeah, and it still makes me uncomfortable <laughs> because we know IBP as a zoning district has got a big target on its back and it's probably going to disappear. And then we're going to have these, these plots of light industrial spread throughout that area. I don't know how we're going to address all of that. Uh, given what's in there. And then this, we have the conditional zoning um, issues that you've gone through and we've approved four times with these rules. So it looks like we're probably gonna recommend approval, but I'm just thinking down the road that those that are gonna be involved with bringing up some of these issues and also the uses and categories if you could really focus on where some of these contradictions are and get them to the steering committee and to planning what's what would be suitable to replace this IBP out there because I know what the, the intention was way back then and it never panned out and it's been a problem ever since. So it's already been identified as it's gonna change. So it'd be very useful to have input on that. And especially how we m meld into that, the existence of these four or five parcels of light industrial land out there, because those are gonna be the oddity and we run the risk of making them non-conforming when we change things. So we're gonna have to be careful. So that's all on the side and looking down the road from where we are tonight. But thanks for raising some of those issues tonight because they're already on, I think on a lot of people's radar screens for what's coming next. Um, uh, and Commissioner, I will add um, on page 18 of the 29 page agenda item report for this specific item, uh, I've listed the other similar rezoning. So it talks, there've been four uh, rezonings away from the IBP. One went to residential, um, so that's a little bit different, but the case numbers and the addresses are listed uh, on page 18 of the 29-page PDF document. Yeah, because I, I just want to point out that, you know, one of those parcels is what gave rise to this code change 
because Correct. it stopped everything in its track with the existing way of doing conditional zoning and brought the current regulations in to play that you went through. So I'm satisfied you've met all of those because we, I've sat here when we've approved prior ones using the same analysis. So I That's correct. 1310 Research not. Park. Yes, 1310 Research Park was the impetus to the right. to the uh, conditional zoning standards that you're talking about. Yeah, I remember being the sole dissent voting on that, but you know, and it changed everything. So that I just want to look down the road. We we are potentially we have a problem with that whole area, and I we're going to have to really pay attention to what we do out there with zoning categories so we don't create problems. We're going to have to try to foresee what what problems we might be creating by having these these areas. Um, so otherwise it all looks fine with me. I'm I'm curious. I mean, that seems like a large building, 4,500 square feet that's in another code problem that we can't have another small commercial because it's too close to one that's already there because that would just seem more appropriate to do it as another commercial node. So there's another item to put on our list that we yeah. should look at. Um, how this, you know, distance requirements between these neighborhood commercial areas. So thank you, Commissioner Governor. Any other comments, discussion? Anyone care to uh, make a motion? looking for the text yeah. <laughs> you are usually the one that makes the motions you're welcome <laughs> i'll go ahead and do it thank you i'd make a motion that we forward a recommendation of approval for the rezoning of z2200217 approximately 3.23 acres from ibp district to il district with use restrictions or the parcel number as listed in the staff report based on the findings presented in the staff report and forwarding onto the city commission. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Second? Commissioner Duver, second. Any other discussion? Mr. Crick, would you call the roll? Commissioner Barota? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Awesome, thank you all. Uh, moving on to item four, the last of our regular agenda. I'll remind you that we have one miscellaneous item after this before we leave. Item four, consider a text amendment, TA-22-00237. Uh, Mary Miller, are you here to talk us through that? Yes, I am, and I'll just share my screen. I have a very brief presentation for this. Thanks, Mary. And, uh, this was initiated a few months ago after we realized that we went through all the work to write the standards for solar energy conversion systems. We had neglected to add them to the permitted use table. And so we had created two levels of solar energy conversion systems. I'm sorry, my screen doesn't want to go where I want it. We had the limited 
scale, which is 20 acres or less, and then we had the commercial utility scale. So these have been added. These are before they would have fallen under the major utilities and minor utilities categories. And so now that they have their specific use category, they have to be listed separately. But the limited scale solar energy conversion system would have been under the minor utilities. It's a minor utility, it's pretty small in scale and scope. So we recommend allowing it in every district that allows the minor utilities. The way we wrote the standards, um, they specifically state that a CUP is required. And so every one of these requires approval of the CUP. And then the commercial utility scale, um, we're recommending those be permitted in, in the same district that major utilities are, except they would all also take a CUP. And so basically that's the, the body of this text amendment is just making sure we add these to the permitted use table. And so staff is recommending approval of this text amendment and um, I'll be happy to answer questions if you have any. Thank you, Mary. Um, uh, time for public comment. Uh, I don't see anyone in the room. Is there anyone on Zoom who's uh, come here to talk about this item? I don't see anyone there. No? All right. Back to the commission. Any comments, questions, discussion? It's just an administrative item that helps us further landing the regs that we worked on into our processes. Is that correct? Correct. And this is just gets that into the use table so that it enables it to be, be active. Anyone care to make a motion on this? Yeah, thanks, Mary, for catching it and fixing it. Um, I would move that we approve text amendment TA-22-00237, revising the zoning and land use regulations for the unincorporated territory of Douglas County, Kansas, as noted in the attached draft language and forward the, to the Board of County Commissioners with a recommendation of approval. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Anyone care to make a second? Second. Commissioner Munch, second, thank you. Um, would you, uh, any other discussion? Mr. Crick, would you call the roll, please? Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Forgot I was second. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroom? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Thank you. That concludes the regular items. We have one item in uh, miscellaneous. That's to receive the Douglas County Schools District's map. Yes, there were multiple commissioners had asked us to produce that map and make it available. So we were just putting that on your agenda tonight so you can take a look at it. Um, and just kind of a, a reminder there, the school district boundaries are not set by any, any of the local governments. So I can't really explain sometimes why the lines go the way they go, but uh, that's how they are. So where do we find those maps then? Is that... That, that map is attached to your packet, so it'll always be there as part gotcha. of it. All right. um, but there are also online maps that we can we could produce if necessary and needed. Very good. Thank you. And if I if I may, I've got one other item that's come in during the meeting, I'd like to to just share with the commission as part of the um, county administrator's report tonight on the board of county commissioners packet. There was a 
study that was released from Douglas County Public Works on the Wakarusa extension and the project, uh, some engineering details and background on that. So I just wanted to highlight that in case anybody would like to go look at that, that document since that was a, a point we discussed this evening. Thank you. That's where? I'm sorry. It's on the Douglas County Administrator, or excuse me, the Douglas County Board of Commissioners packet under the Administrator's Report. For tonight? Yes. Okay. And thank you so much. Uh, that's that finishes our agenda for the night. Uh, before we call it, I may have one oh, yes. more uh, announcement. Um, thank you, everyone who's um, submitted, participated in the doodle poll for the planning commission orientation. And it looks like um, October 21st, which is a Friday, is the date that fit. Um, just about everybody's schedules. So I'll send out something uh, to block that time on your calendar, but just want to let you know that that is, uh, looks like that's going to be the date for that orientation. Brilliant. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Anything else before we adjourn? Anyone of my move that we adjourn? I move that we adjourn. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner. <laughs> second. I'll second it. Thank you, Commissioner Thompson. Uh, Jeff, would you call the roll, please? Commissioner Verota? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvar? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes 8 to 0. That's a wrap. Thanks, everyone. Nice. You, good job. Great conversation. Thanks, everyone. I have to listen to Chelsea, when do you